We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com, use the promo code BIGBLUE. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Filato. Tonight we are here to break down the Giants offense on the All-22 Coaches film against the Detroit Lions. Very interesting game, as I said, going into it. Both Nick and I got the predictions wrong. I was really looking forward to this one because I knew the Lions were a man coverage heavy team. They came into this game with the fourth most man coverage. I know for some reason there were like some narratives or whatever I've seen on Twitter. People saying like the Lions played a lot of zone. I have no idea where that came from. The Lions <laughs> played 58.7% man coverage, which is incredibly high for NFL standards. And as I expected, the Giants pass offense looked the best it has all season at times. Now we're going to go over some plays. It's not just the interceptions. One thing for me, there's a lot of good and bad on this tape for Daniel Jones. More <laughs> good, I think, as there really should be against the 31st ranked pass defense with the guys they, they were trotting out. I mean, this Lions pass defense is the worst I think they'll see all season. Now there were windy conditions. It was cold, but it was the worst pass defense. and They play a lot of man, which is great for Daniel Jones. And so th- I think more good than bad for sure. But as we'll go over on this tape, man, I, there's still there's always these plays on on film for me um, that he just specifically the hole shots. I just never see him look to take hole shots, and and we'll go over them as we get to them on the film. So I'll get your take on them. But I'm just not sure he's ever going to be a quarterback who throws hole shots. And if he's not, it really limits them in the red zone. They haven't had that pop up recently because they have all these like you know unique red zone plays that re- don't really rely on hole shots in the in the back corners of the end zones. But man, when you're between the twenties, there's a lot of opportunities that they're, they're just never taken. It's always the underneath the fumble to Hodgins was a play that stood out to me, a ball that he should have never thrown. There was a whole shot. He could have taken there. I believe it was the route that we see all the time. I'm not positive. It might've been like, um, I'm trying to remember the route. I think it was a wheel that he could have hit potentially. Well, we'll get to it when we go on the film. So anyway, interesting tape for me, the giants pass offense looked best. It's been all year from a drop back standpoint. I felt like confident coming out of it, like we can start to do this more. But now without Robinson, I'm not so sure. But there were some plays left on film. So it was a very interesting tape for me. What was kind of, I guess I'm starting there. What was your main takeaway from just watching the tape? 
it's similar from what we went over yesterday. A lot of slanting defensive linemen to stop Saquon Barkley. And I really felt like that just gave the offensive line a ton of fits from a continuity standpoint. That was checked out on the all 22. Felt like Detroit was very disciplined on those zone reads. Houston was disciplined on those zone reads. Seattle was disciplined. So the primary way the New York Giants won football games was using Daniel Jones's legs a lot of the times, those play action bootlegs all throughout basically post week three, right? Right. Recently, that's been shut down. Like we're not playing the week four Chicago Bears anymore where they're just abandoning the fact that Daniel Jones could run the football with his legs. So the Giants are going to need to find another way to move the football because Detroit, not necessarily the best run defense. I don't know what it was, but Aleem McNeil looked like Dexter Lawrence out there. No one could block this dude. That guy had one of the best games that we've seen on film from an individual on the defensive side of the football, and nobody really expected that from this second-year player. I felt like a lot of credit probably deserves to go to Detroit, to Aaron Glenn. I felt like they had a really good game plan to shut down Saquon Barkley and to limit the New York Giants' ability to create explosive plays through the air. It wasn't like the Seattle game, at least here, where there was a ton of I say explosive play opportunity. Now, mm -hmm. I think, you know, you can say in the second half, yes, it was a lot of garbage time. I felt like in the second half, they just ran a lot of two-man under, a lot of yeah, cover two. It was <laughs> so felt like Madden two-man under, dude. Yeah. It, that's it was all a, man. That's, that's a man coverage call. It's a man coverage call with two deep half safeties, limiting explosive play potential. But the Giants thrive on what? Mesh concepts, deep horizontal concepts routes that are advantageous against man coverage. And that's a, one reason why I think we saw Daniel Jones cook a lot during the second half. Yep. One reason why he ended up having over 300 yards. But I'll tell you something else, man. Detroit loved playing nickel. They almost exclusively played nickel formation. And it's kind of surprising to me that the New York Giants weren't able to run the football against their nickel. Well, that, I think that's where you see the biggest biggest impact of the loss of Daniel Bellinger right there. A team's going to play heavy nickel against you and you can't no longer make them pay because you no longer have the tight ends. You can run out in 12 that are going to really punish the defense. They're playing lighter personnel. Absolutely. But dude, one of the adjustments that we've seen is that sixth extra offensive lineman. Like Nick Gates aligned right. as a true tight end sometimes. And you could just see the impact. Like I think he had a block against John Kaminsky where it was just like, he's just stopping John Kaminsky right in his you know, 300 pound John Kaminsky, like right in his spot. But even still, there were issues along the interior offensive line. And we'll see it all on the tape here. So go check right. out the YouTube where one guy missed an assignment. One guy split a double team. They slanted in one direction, and then there was one New York Giants offensive lineman who wasn't really blocking anybody, and then no one climbed up the second level, and Alex Anzalone uh, filled. And that's another thing I felt like they did a good job. Whenever they anticipated run, Alex Anzalone was just blitzing right mm -hmm. there. And that created, like we said, with the defense against Houston, right? The Giants defense against Houston. That created one-on-one -on -one matchups for Lee McNeil and for the defensive lineman. And got to tell you, man, the Giants interior offensive lineman, it's a freaking problem. It's one of the big sticking points heading into next offseason that they need to find upgrades over these players, specifically at center. And then you hope that the left guard can develop. I'll tell you one thing, though, and I'm sure you would agree with this. It was a substantial difference once Josh Azudu went into the game over Shane Lemieux. Shane Lemieux, it was one of the worst guard tape I've seen in quite a while, which says a lot because last year, I don't even know who was playing guard for the New York <laughs> cover this <laughs> i don't know if it was west martin was it west martin level bad in your mind it was up there it was up yeah. there and maybe it's just because we've seen adequate guard play from ben bredesen and josh azudu but did you did you get that feeling once shane lemieux was benched in the second half that it was like wow 
you're not seeing these issues in pass. Like Shane Lemieux was horrendous, terrible in this game. It, it was it was worse than what we even saw in 2020 from him because it happened almost every single damn play. And I think you nailed it. If you look at this tape, and we're about to, you guys will see it with us or you'll hear along. Guess what? I know we said it in Seattle and we proved it with the tape. The second half pass pro was borderline good at times, man. Like the route that Slayton run that you put on Twitter where he has like, it's like a long developing route over the middle. They blitzed the guy. We'll show it. There were five. It was a five on five. They blitzed an extra guy. It was five pass rushers against five guys. And they gave Daniel Jones like four and a half seconds back there to find Slayton on like a long developing in breaker where he crosses the whole field. Like there were times in the second half where the pass protection looked pretty damn good. That's why they were able to accrue almost 300 yards passing in this, or sorry, more than 300 yards passing in this game. It's a part of the reason. And it also is the reason I said at the beginning of this podcast, man, like I'm getting to that point now, again, Rondell's hurt, but I'm getting to that point where I'm like, I want to open this offense up more, man. Like I'll take the risk of like some sacks and some fumbles and some DJ picks, whatever it is, because I know there is potential. DJ was ripping the ball in the second half. He was throwing with good velocity and good drive through windy conditions. And he had good ball placement. He had some of his best throws in the second half, the back shoulder to Slayton, perfect ball placement, the third and 15 to Hodgins, the best throw for my money I've seen all season. For me, it's not the throws that he does make that, that sometimes get on my nerves. Sometimes it's just the throws he doesn't make. That's, really been the case all year for DJ. I don't feel like there's been too many misses. It's just the throws he chooses not to make and the times he just doesn't look downfield or doesn't even consider and just quickly is either B gap run. I want to do this or let me hit that check down like the Hodgins play, which will go over to me. Yeah, you can blame Hodgins all you want, but he catches the football. He turns and Jones leads him right into that defender. Meanwhile, that defender sitting in between Hodgins and the receiver over the top, it's Richie James. If Jones just rips a ball 15, 17 yards on a back shoulder toward the sideline, it's such a better decision at all times than throwing that underneath the Hodgins. There's nothing to gain from that Hodgins throw. It's a two-yard gain at best. At worst, it's a fumble or it could be incomplete. The throw to James, if you hit him back shoulder sideline there, it's either a 16-yard catch or it's out of bounds. Whatever, you move on. You don't fumble it. So... To me, it's always that. Um, but yeah, I, w- I wanted to talk about. I think you were right. The jump from Azudo from Azu- uh, Lemieux to Azudo in the second half, massive. You can even potentially say the same about once Gates came into the game at center. Yeah, exactly. And I think that coincided with around the same timeline as when Josh Azudo went into the game. Just the upgrade of Azudo and Gates over Feliciano, who's playing through an injury, and Shane Lemieux, who just was not good at all in this game. And I think you're spot on, and we should get into the film here soon, but I think you're spot on when you say that the thing that we criticize Daniel Jones about the most is the throws that he does not make, which comes down to a confidence thing, because we've said it on this podcast. He has an NFL arm. Is it Patrick Holmes? Is it Justin Herbert? No, but can he make all the throws? Yes, Daniel Jones can make all the throws, but sometimes he's a little tentative and he's a little hesitant to pull the trigger and he doesn't trust his eyes, specifically on those deep, longer developing type of plays, which really cropped up against Seattle. And I feel like if he can get that type of confidence, it's going to lead to more explosive plays because I think he has the accuracy and he has the touch and he has those types of traits that can at least lead to reasonable catch expectancy. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I almost think there's a case to be made that, and this could happen in a player's career with just like off-season training, weightlifting, building your lower half and your and your base and like your core. I actually think he's thrown from a consistency basis the best balls he's thrown in his career this year. That, that was not a good way to say it. I think he's put the most drive. Yeah, exactly. The most drive and velocity and just overall the fewest number of balls that throws that are just making you could say balls or throws whatever you want it's funnier when you say balls, balls. are funnier yes and i just like it's nfl lingo but let's just say throws 
this season than at any point in his career. Like there have been times in the past where he's had stretches where I'm just like, eh, the ball's not coming out right. This is just bad, either bad ball placement or it didn't drive through that that hole. That's not the case. Like there are some throws, even through the very final drive the Giants had, we just the Galladay slant and the last drive, like he just freaking sticks that thing in there and that ball. Yeah drives into that that's his best throw i mean look that dig slam whatever you want to call it that middle break in breaking like 10 to 15 yard range it's his best nfl throw by far in my opinion some people love the deep ball because he has good touch on it i would take that drive throw in the in the in that range over it any day but he has that ability like you said it's the confidence to make those throws and i feel like i liked what i saw from the pass blocking in the second half once they made the switch to move like you said Lemieux out of there. That's that's done. That ex- I think what you said on the reaction podcast, Nick, I'm not I'm fully with you after watching the film. Experiment over, right? Like even to the point where like next year going into next season, I don't even consider him like a great backup depth piece. I'll find like trying to upgrade like they have been with the offensive line with Tyree Phillips and all the pieces. Um, I want to talk once we get to the film, your thoughts on Matt Parrott. That's a really interesting one that I want to get your thoughts on. Yeah. I saw some good. I saw some bad with Parrott. Um, just overall, was kind of like a pair game. The play where he got spun around and Daniel spun around play, and yeah. threw it away. Like that was a that was a rough play. He had another one where he should have probably got flagged because he like bear hugged the guy. But other than that, man, like all the things that are intriguing about Matt Pair, and we'll get into the individual plays once we get to the film. They're still evident, man. Quick feet, long arms. You know, Big. once he gets his hands on you, he. He's not like Josh Azudi. He's not going to stonewall you. One thing I'd never really loved about Pear, and I think I've said this mm-hmm. before about him, is he has a soft punch. But I do believe once he gets you close, he can like hold you tight and then kind of just pull you towards his face mask and then just, you know, hold you. But it doesn't get called because you're not grabbing outside. But it's the punch. I just feel like he kind of makes contact and then it kind of allows the defender to knock and break that contact, which is something that I had an issue with him last year in the previous season. Didn't really see it too much in this one. There was like two plays where we did, but we'll witness that in a little bit. Yep. And one couple, two more things quickly before we get into the film I want to talk about. You mentioned earlier, you know, the Lions defense, and it's so obvious when you watch the film, we'll see it in a second. Like they did a lot of slanting to get through, and it really screwed up the Giants run game. Is that something like I almost feel like when you do slant your defensive lineman like that, and I could be totally wrong on this, then we're going to let it play out regardless. And I'll let Leo correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it's a good move when you're facing teams that have a lot of like power gap and like using pullers a lot, because if you just shoot them right through and you got linemen pulling, it leaves this open gaping hole for you to come and you can make a backside pursuit play, or you can force the running back inside, which I saw, like I saw a couple where the, they slanted the lineman Barkley saw it, had to like redirect his path cut back to the end. It just kind of screws the whole thing up against pulling in power gap type concepts. Yeah, that's definitely something that can happen. If, well, think about it this way. Offensive linemen want to block defenders in a certain direction by moving across their face and just going in a completely opposite direction of where they believe you're going to be right at the snap instantaneously. It's going to put the offensive lineman in a position where he has to kind of guess or quickly adjust. And then he can get at a position, which is going to change his blocking angle. And it could lead to mistakes. It could lead to bad framing of blocks, things of that nature. And which we'll see throughout this entire tape, when you slant and you lower your center of gravity and you dip your outside shoulder, you can avoid taking on those base type of blocks, or you could even split double teams. It just confuses the offensive line. It prevents them from knowing exactly what to do. 
and what their gap responsibility might be because the front that they thought they were going up against changes right at the snap. If you run counter off of it and you slant and you get inside, that's awesome. But if you run counter and you have an aggressive defense and you're slanting and they all think it's going one direction, you're slanting opposite of where the counter is going. That's where you can gain a really good advantage. Or if you run play action bootleg off of the slant, play action bootleg away from the slant. That's another way where you can gain a numbers advantage towards the play action side, especially if you have backside routes coming from the crossing routes and from the drag routes and things like that. It didn't seem like the Giants had too much success with their play action bootleg game like they had in the past. They There was a couple like six yard run by Jones. I think there was another nice run by Jones, but all in all, it was a rough day for the rushing attack and Saquon Barkley, who I also think didn't have his best game. And it wasn't just because of the blocking. There was, there was I think, one play where I was like, oh, Barkley, the, the double team is there. And th- there was just so much space for him to hit this crease. I think you know what play I'm referring yep. to. And he decided to go to the right where there was a hat on hat and there was really nothing there for him. That wasn't the only one I thought. We'll go over the other ones. I was like, not not as egregious as that one. That one was like he could have creased that for maybe a touchdown. I don't know. Because if he gets through that crease, then it's Saquon Barkley in space in the open field with this second gear. And it's like maybe a touchdown with him. You never know. Yeah. Um, some people have said, like, Barkley's numbers have been way down over recent weeks, right? Like, And it's not just like the total yardage per carry and things of that nature. It's like this week, apparently, he had like the lowest rushing uh, yards over expected. And that was like, and that's an advanced stat, but that was something that he was like best at earlier in the season. He was doing a great job, but now the, it's like flipped completely, polar opposite. Some people have suggested that he hasn't been the same since the shoulder injury. I have no idea if that's apparent or true. It doesn't, I don't know how to like evaluate that type of like speculation on film at least, but it's something to at least throw out there. I don't think he had his best. Like he, if when we get to best player on film, it will not be Barkley. Obviously. I mean, you guys know from just the numbers, but like this wasn't his best game by any means. No, it wasn't. And on so that he was note, open later in the game when they finally used him as a receiver on that switch, like backside crosser. And Jones oh my just God. I know him. what player talking yeah. about Dan. Dan, he was wide, wide open. open on that. And Jones play. just completely didn't see it. And it just, these are the types of plays that you're going to see on the film where it's like, yeah. Jones did have a great game. He had a lot of great throws and I want to yeah. praise him because and he deserves praise and criticism. It's both. That's what we do here. You'll see him. You'll understand. You'll walk it through with us, but there's a bunch of throws he didn't make on this film, not just the interceptions. And then there's a bunch of those he did make. So that's kind of the game he gave you. And that's a good game, like 300 plus yards, a lot of drive throws, and we'll see it on the film. Uh, that might've been a touchdown to for sure. Yeah, because it would have been him. Best case scenario, if the ball is caught and it's thrown on target Mm -hmm. and everything like that, it's a one-on-one matchup between Barkley and a safety because there was no one else. Everybody else bit up on the underneath routes. And honestly, I don't love Saquon Barkley on the vertical plane running those you know deep fades in the wheel route. But if you want to get him anything breaking horizontally, if you want to use him since the Giants don't have Wondell Robinson now, they don't have a lot of these wide receiver weapons, use him in the intermediate parts of the field. I'm okay with that too. You don't use him too much. You don't want to tire him out. He's not a wide receiver. But on that play right there, that would have that would have been a huge explosive play for New York if it was recognized. And we'll get into the tape in one second. But I do want to get your question on, you know, the Giants gave Saquon Bar- or your thoughts on a question. The Giants gave Saquon Barkley an insane amount of touches earlier in the season and this season. He came off a ridiculous touch game, you know, just over the last few weeks. Is it possible, do you think, that he's potentially wearing down or just there's too much? You know, is that playing a factor at all in Barkley's performances in your mind? Or it's hard to tell. I mean, it is hard to tell, but we're all human, right? And it's very plausible and it makes a lot of sense to think that Saquon Barkley is 
getting worn down a little bit. He had, what, 36 touches last week? He only had 15 carries in this game, and I was glad once the game was out of reach that the Giants put Gary Brightwell and Matt Breida in because you have a short week. And if the Giants are going to win this football game against Dallas, you're going to need Saquon Barkley. You're yes. going to need to establish the run, and he's going to have to have some type of unreal performance against this defense that's really, really stout and might be without Micah Parsons. We'll have to wait and see on all that. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely I could use that break. Season. I don't even care. I want that. Yeah. Break. Oh, 100%. I'm not, I'm not enough. sitting here. Look, enough. I don't want Micah Jackson and the why yeah. enough. I don't want Parsons to be hurt. I would never wish that on anybody. But no. if you can't play in this game, I'm not going to be like, oh, damn, I wish we played them at their strongest. Let's yeah, exactly. I don't, I'm out on that wish we play them at their strongest thing. When we have this amount of injuries, I'm out on that wish we played them at their strongest thing. But, um, yeah, anyway, I just want to get your take on that before we dive into the tape. But let, let's do it. Let's dive into this tape with this first drive, which was a three and out by the Giants. The I would say like the in the 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 effect of continuity on the offensive line when you do make a decision like inserting a Shane Lemieux into the lineup on this play, because you can tell Shane Lemieux is, is not really in the right position on this run. I'm a little curious as to what exactly is supposed to happen on this run. So this is a single back 11 personnel. It's the personnel package where Lawrence Cager is the H back and you have two wide receivers right to the left of him. So you have a bunch of bodies to the field side, which is Andrew Thomas's side, the left side, and the Giants open up and they run the football to that side, but nobody blocks number 79 on this play. And looking at it, it appears like Andrew Thomas and Shane Lemieux just are not on the same page at all here. It looks like Andrew Thomas wants to block 25, but 25 is getting blocked by Darius Slayton, and that's a defensive back. And then Shane Lemieux and the center, John Feliciano, just get hip to hip on nobody, and right. no one blocks 79. Saquon Barkley gets bottled up. And these are the types of plays I'm talking about on this one. Yeah, there's a slanting defensive lineman here who slants into the B-gap, and maybe Andrew Thomas was expecting from what he has done with Ben Bredesen and Josh right. Azudu in the past, that Shane Lemieux was going to pick up any kind of slant exactly. and defensive lineman. And that's what I'm imagining just because Shane Lemieux is the new guy. But it's little plays like this that, that slanting can help you. But at the same time, like if Andrew Thomas or say Shane Lemieux are aware of what's going on and they block this individual, yeah, there's a huge freaking hole there, right? Yeah. So it's like, it's not even like the Giants just got dominated up front, but sometimes, even though they did in some respect, but there are just times where one guy screws up an assignment and it just yep. absolutely kills the play. And I think this is a great microcosm of that on the first and play. I think of the game. That's a great point. And it's like, it's if they start the game with a Zudu in the game, that probably doesn't happen. That's the thing. Like the Giants had struggled running the ball and the lines at all these crazy aggressive slants. Like you see defensive line slants, like you see, but like you just said, you can beat that if you're just executing your assignments correctly. And obviously, you know, in a lot of ways, the Giants weren't in this game at the beginning when they had Lemieux in. And at times with Feliciano and then changing over to Gates, they're still just like mixing and matching guys. Um, so, yeah, you see it on that play. It sets up a second and 13 uh, where the Giants run a little bit of like a high-low and they hit Barkley in the flat for seven. Yeah. First off, actually, if we go back to that first down play, it's sure. a minus three yard loss, but I do appreciate how the Giants used Wandale Robinson and kind of brought him on this fake little end around just for eye candy purposes. And it obviously did not work on this play, but the giants are just trying to show some eye candy to set up maybe future plays against the Lions, even though it didn't necessarily work out, but you're right. Second and 13 giants come out in this 11 personnel package with the nub three by one set. McNeil beats Shane Lemieux bad on this play as well. And this isn't even the sack play that we're about right. to go over. 
But you can see this is the high-low concept that the Giants run with Saquon Barkley to the flat, Lawrence Cager just running the seven route. And then when you look to the three wide receiver side, this is a common concept in Mike Kafka and Brian Dable's playbook. You have an in-breaking route from the number two, the number three runs the whip underneath, and then the number one just kind of runs a vertical route, occupy the safety's eyes. Daniel Jones likes what he sees to the boundary side, Saquon Barkley against Malcolm Rodriguez on a two-way go. I'm going to take that every day of the week as well. Saquon Barkley catches, what, a seven-yard pass here. And run that back with the with the other angle, with the end zone angle, so people can kind of see Lemieux here. I mean, you, you could tell this was a really bad first drive for Lemieux, and I think you know it wasn't just the sack he gave up, as Nick said. So you'll see him here just struggle to contain him. He gets beat again, like you said, with that up that power swim move that just seems to always get him. Yes, and Daniel Jones has to just get rid of the football maybe quicker than he wants to. Saquon Barkley gets out of his break. And Daniel Jones is already looking in that direction. So I think the timing worked out, but Chain Lemieux just has this inability to sustain blocks and get his hands inside and actually use grip strength to his advantage. And this is something that plagued him in 2020. You can see number 54, which is Ali McNeil, also known as Aaron Donald, just kind of knocks his hands down. And then Lemieux does a good job getting his hands underneath McNeil, but then McNeil pulls his outside shoulder pad downward and just brings his own outside arm around, creating separation and swimming over the top of Shane Lemieux. It's it's an issue for this guy. Like, like we said, it, we're done with Shane Lemieux on this podcast as a starter. He can be a depth piece. I'm okay with that for now, but he needs a lot of development and it sucks because he's missed so much football recently, but he hasn't developed because of that. Yeah, and it's like it's one thing if this was if he was going against like one of these elite interior defensive tackles on the season, but this is not the case. Like Ali McNeil had, like you said, a Dexter Lawrence dominant like game, a Matabuke type game, like we saw early season. But the giant the Lions defense has been awful this season. Their D tackles have been not nothing has been really good. This is they came in as one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And like you could say, oh well, they kind of tightened up lately. No, not really. The Bears ran rampant on them. And before that, the Packers didn't score much, but they drove into the red zone four times and turned it and got like zero points on four red zone drives. So it's not like they really slowed them down by any means. So it's like when you're struggling with a D line like this, it's an all telltale sign. I want to go to the other angle. One and first, sure I, just something on Lee McNeil, because yeah, we're going to be go. talking about him a lot. Lee McNeil had 10 pressures in yesterday's game. The most that he had on the season before that was four. The most right. before that was one. So this isn't a Dexter Lawrence type of player. This is a great individual effort by McNeil. But one reason why he was so effective was because of the competition he was going against. Exactly. And that's the key thing right there with what happened. This game, you want to look at some things that went wrong. We said, oh, there were some up and downs with Jones. Fine. There were some up and Barkley maybe didn't pick some good holes. Whatever. It was a drop here, a drop there. But the worst part of this offense by far was the interior offensive line. It was the reason, in my mind, they lost this football game in a lot of ways. You can talk about the interceptions like it is what it is. But there, I mean, in the defense, which is put in bad spots, which we'll talk about tomorrow. But the biggest culprit to me is the interior offensive. Besides maybe the linebackers. They had a awful game, too. But when you have an interior offensive line that's getting dominated by Lee McKeel, and I think, Nick, your stats are really illuminating. This is a 10-pressure game from a guy who has capped out at four before this and didn't have more than one before that. Yeah, so the third and sixth play, the one that Ali McNeil gets the sack by using a double swipe club, just throwing Shane Lemieux to the side. Three by one set, not nub. Two-point stance for the tight end. He's going to run a mesh concept. He's running the mush. Darius Slayton's running the mosh. That means Darius Slayton's going over the top of Lawrence Cager. But you have Wandell Robinson open on this route. He is a number three receiver aligned just outside of the hash to the field side. And he's just running a deep horizontal pattern against a cornerback 
who has outside leverage. And Wondell Robinson creates the separation. He has a safety over the top, about 12 or maybe eight yards off of him. So Daniel Jones, if he was protected here, this is an easy, easy. bing bang type of play. Daniel Jones has made this throw so many times. He was and going to reach that breed too, right, Nick? Yep, exactly. He's looking at Wondell Robinson. He's confirmed this is man coverage. He knows this is a man coverage beater, and he knows that the leverage of number 31 is outside of Wondell Robinson. And so as long as Malcolm Rodriguez doesn't sink underneath Wondell Robinson's route, it's Wondell Robinson all day. And guess what? Malcolm Rodriguez just latches on the safe Juan Barkley. It's just Shane Lemieux ends up crapping his pants here. Yeah, Lemieux kills a drive single-handedly here by just not being able to hold up for even, a, like, not even be able to lose slowly. He loses immediately. And obviously, you know, we, we don't need to crap on Lemieux too much, but there, it, it's pretty obvious now we're talking about a former fifth-round pick, hasn't played. And you could say, like, oh, well, let's give him a chance. It's his first game back. Give him some time. But why? Like, there was bad tape as a rookie. Like, I don't know what people remember about that season. Some good moments in the run game, great. But, like, the pass production has been bad forever in the NFL. I just don't know why we have to, we should be expecting anything different. And it's not even that too. It's who has a higher upside, Shane Lemieux or Josh Azudu oh, yeah. right now. That's who do you number. want to earn right. reps? It's Josh Azudu all day, man. Josh Azudu, Josh Azudu can make so many mistakes and we'll call him out for it, but he has so many flashes on tape that it's hard to say, yeah, you got to bench that guy, even right. when he makes some of the mistakes. And he's not making nearly the amount of mistakes that Shane Lemieux did in this game. Okay, let's roll to the second drive here. It's an 11-play, 75-yard touchdown drive by the Giants. So this is a good one. They start to get the offense moving right away with a little PA rollout. Um, and this was a really nice play by the Giants here, I thought, specifically by Daniel Jones. One thing I've noticed about Jones this season, in my opinion, he's thrown better while moving on the run than I've really ever seen him in that off-platform sense. And that's a really good sign to me. I think it. In, I think it, part of it, Nick, to me at least, is that he has built up that lower half a little bit. He has worked on his core strength in the offseason. You could see it. There's more drive on his pass than ever before, not just from when he's in the pocket, but also when he's on the move like this and he's off platform. And this is a really good throw on the run, I thought. I love this design. It's pistol formation. Wando Robinson motions to the boundary side and then motions to the field side right before the snap. So he's just running back and forth. And then at the snap, Daniel Jones goes into the mesh point, but he's not reading anybody. He's just seeing how the defense reacts here. So he's not going to hand the football off to Saquon Barkley. In my opinion, Wandale Robinson ends up running a wheel route, which clears out the deep third. Lawrence Cager runs in the flat from the opposite side of the field. So you have two guys now to the field side. And then Darius or Isaiah Hodgins, I'm sorry, is originally aligned to the field side. He just takes that deep third defender and runs directly at the safety, occupying two guys. Now, I love the fact that you have two guys, Lawrence Cager, and Wandale Robinson to the field side with Daniel Jones ro rolling in that direction. But what I love even more is from the backside of the formation, Darius Slayton runs a crossing route. So you have three reads right here. If you're Daniel Jones to throw this football and he takes Darius Slayton over the middle of the field and gains 17 yards. I felt like this was a really smart play by Daniel Jones, as you said, and I love the design by Mike Kafka. Great design and great way to beat man coverage here on this one. Um, you know, this is just a better, this offense is going to look better from this point on against man coverage teams, unless it's like that Cowboys game where they're just getting like so much pressure that there's just not an ounce of time. And that's obviously what the Lions wanted to do. That's their game plan with this style of defense. They just weren't able to a lot of this game. It's why Jones had almost 350 yards. Did he have 350? What did Jones fi finish with? I know there's some garbage stuff at the end. 
I think it was 340. Uh, I'm going to look it up right now. It's yeah, it's all right. Yeah, yeah, 340. But that's a big reason why he faced a lot of man coverage. Jones is a much better quarterback against man coverage. I think that's why he doesn't see it very often. I mean, very uh, partially because the NFL teams don't run it a lot. Um, then after that first down, we have a negative one yard rush here by Barkley. Again, it's only McNeil. He just gets his yep. hands inside of Shane Lemieux. John Feliciano goes to help him, but the McNeil is stepping to the play side away from John Feliciano. And then McNeil just kind of splits the double team. And I don't know how much of this is on Shane Lemieux or John Feliciano. Cause it, to me, it seems like Shane Lemieux believes that John Feliciano is going to stay on this double team the entire time. So he's just going to go and climb up to number 25. So I think this was somewhat of another lack of continuity type of issue with this offensive line because John Feliciano thinks he's going to pick up Alex Anzalone. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see he's looking at that linebacker, but Anzalone, for whatever reason, decides to go to the backside of the play and pay attention to Daniel Jones. You can also look at Malcolm Rodriguez. Who is he paying attention to? Daniel Jones. That's the Daniel Jones effect, but that's going to minus defenders now for Saquon Barkley. And if this was blocked up well, if John Feliciano stayed on that double team with Shane Lemieux, I think this could have ended up being a pretty big play. So you have two linebackers right. who are paying attention to freaking Daniel Jones, Dan. It just doesn't happen because Shane Lemieux and John Feliciano don't seem to be on the same page. That's exactly right. And you could have had potentially created a huge cutback lane there for Saquon Barkley. Who knows if he could, like the safety's coming down. I think it's Kirby Joseph. But even so, it's going to be better by far than a one-yard loss. So instead, like you said, good example of poor execution from the offensive line. And that's more of the reason why, you know, they're not able to get the run game going on that specific play. So it leads to a second and 11. They're facing a cover one look, it looks like here, with a one high safety in the middle of the field. Looks like a man coverage pre-snap. Um, looks like, do they drop into a zone after the snap? Or Yeah, they drop into cover two. Yep. So this is a cover one type of look or a cover three, just a middle of the field closed look from a three by one set with a not a nub. And what I mean by nub is that just a tight end who is in line to the backside. So he is that one receiver on the backside of a three by one set. When it's not a nub, that just means he's in a two point stance. Typically in Mike Kafka's offense, about three yards off of the tackle to that side. So that's what I mean. He's in a two point stance, Lawrence Cager. And I think this is a good play by Daniel Jones. Cause I think he thinks it's middle of the field closed. And then he catches the ball right here. He checks to see if anybody's following Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley doesn't necessarily get followed, but if you look at the top of the screen, the cornerback just kind of flows in that direction, which provides a little throwing window to a quick hitch to Lawrence Cager. And Lawrence Cager catches his football for seven yards and set up a third and manageable. Yep. And then on that third and four, we get a little bit of a zone read type play here. Um, but as you can see, the read defender here makes a good play on it to stop the Giants. They do get three yards on this, which does set up for a fourth and one. Because 79 is uh does a really good job. And Daniel Jones, one reason why Daniel Jones hasn't kept a lot of these, and he keeps some of them uh, in the second quarter of this game, is because plays like this, 79, he stays square to the line of scrimmage. He cheats down a little bit, but he still has his eyes on Daniel Jones. So Daniel Jones hands the football off, but that defender still makes this tackle. And even on this play, Daniel Jones is probably outrunning 79, in my opinion. But I don't hate him handing the football off in this specific situation. Three yards, set up a fourth and one. Correct. And on the fourth and one, we see, you know, a really good example of why I believe Matt Breida should play more snaps with the Wandell Robinson injury. 
You bring Breed in motion, then you bury him on the jet sweep. This is snuffed out by the Lions. Malcolm Rodriguez is ready for the shit. He's seen it on film, but you just have an incredible different level. Not a different level, like maybe league-wide, but for what this roster has right now, a different level of agility and athleticism and acceleration for Breed to get around that. Like This is read perfectly by the Lions, by Rodriguez, and despite that, Breed is able to pick up a first down. And we've seen this go for a loss so many times in other seasons with other teams, um, but Breed is able to create a first down out of it. A nice little, what, five-yard rush by Matt Breida on this jet sweep to set up a first and 10. Fourth down, that's a high-leverage situation, and it seems like a lot this season the New York Giants have called Breida's number in these high-leverage situations, and it's very rare that he doesn't come through. And so they'll roll back to a six-offensive lineman look on this first and 10, trying to do create what they, a little bit of what they did against the Texans, but to discipline run defense with the Lions, apparently, at least in this game, they've been awful going into this game. They were 31st ranked, but against the Giants, somehow they were disciplining great. And like you see throughout the game, they slant their defensive linemen, the aggression pays off, and they're able to, to really get Barkley with that backside pursuit. Yeah, they're anticipating these runs. And look, they're not even just slanting. Like, they're going to slant the defensive line, but you also have number 25 yeah. here who's going to yeah. crash down the cutback lane. So right. Saquon Barkley has nowhere to go. Glowinski just can't block this two eye tech. He can't reach him. You can see he tries to, he steps to him, but 96 does a good job kind of contacting Glowinski's inside arm, knocking it downward. And then 96 just presents his chest to Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley has two guys in his lap as he's getting the football. It kind of reminds me of, I think it was the 2019 season. Do you remember when the Giants played the New York Jets? And I think it was 2019 and Saquon Barkley grew up a Jet fan. And he think he finished the game with two rushing yards. This game kind of reminded me of that, only there was a little bit more slanting here and not as much of the linebackers blitzing and penetrating. Linebackers penetrated here, but damn, in that game against the Jets, I felt like there were linebackers in Saquon Barkley's face the entire game on every single handoff. Yeah, they were. They really weren't going to get beat by him that day. And then Daniel Jones had one of his best games. That was one of my favorite Jones games, that Jet game. I was at that game, and there were a lot of man coverage, and he took advantage of man coverage. There was only a way for us to get teams to play more man against us. I feel like we'd see a totally different Daniel Jones in general. Um, I just trust him so much more against man. Against Jones, there's just whole shots he's just not willing to take for whatever reason. He never has been so far in his career. I guess you know everybody can come up with everything. It's the coaches. It's this. It's that. We finally get receivers. He will. But these whole shots, they don't really have anything to do with the receiver. Like, will a receiver make a difference when you attempt it? Yeah, if he has a better catch radius or he catches more balls, sure. But to actually make the attempt and to pull the trigger on it, it's not really receiver-related in many ways. It's a little bit because you want him to get there faster. But there are shots to be taken that just you know don't always get taken. But anyway, they face a lot of men in this. And obviously, we're rolling through the second and nine play, a little pin pull, which you know you you like in theory here, but the Giants are only able to get two yards on this again. Lions playing this really well. Yeah, I like this in theory because it's a pinpole concept it's to the boundary, but it's to the strong side where your tight end is Nick Gates. So they're running to a three offensive line side and they're going to pull their guard. So essentially like a G lead with the guard in the center pulling something they ran since week one against Tennessee. But honestly, man, number 97 here, I think that's John Kaminsky plays this very well because he reads block down, step down rules. And then he goes and he pinches so tight off the ass of Nick Gates and just intercepts the initial puller, who is Shane Lemieux. And in doing so, that removes the puller. Right. And it also picks Andrew Thomas, which allows Aline McNeil to shed Andrew Thomas and now be a defender that Saquon Barkley has to worry about. And Saquon Barkley kind of gets touched on the foot by the contained defender and ends up falling down. I like the, the play design, but it just did not work out here. And it just seemed like that's the 
essence of the New York Giants offensive rushing attack in this game. And we'll Nick this, a penalty here too by holding Rodrigo. Right. Well, that is true. Um, but I will say this. I do love that. I mean, you could look at it from either of you. It doesn't really matter. I do love the effort from Nick Gates. I know he got the penalty, but I mean, he just plays everything through the whistle. Just watch 65 where he ends up at the end of this play. Just drive, 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 drive through the whistle. I know he gets called for it, but still, and it is a hold. But I mean, the effort is just always max with Nick Gates. It's always maxed. And this is one of the two penalties that the Lions ended up declining. It was a bad decline by them, a really bad decline. I think the other one was even worse, which we'll go over here in a little bit. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm not 100% sure if you're tracking or if you're aware or have been informed about these strange new tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Guess what? It's not beer. It's a mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death, you asked? Thanks for asking. Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans can help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. That is pretty nice of them. I've tried Liquid Death in my thirst. It was brutally murdered. So go get Liquid Death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a Liquid Death realtor near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. That's liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sports, WinBet has what you need to win. 
Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100, win $100. Download Bet Win. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Be on the lookout for the WinBet Win Hour each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. During WinBet Win Hour, marquee games of the week will have better odds on WinBet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play through WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call 1-800-522-4700. It was a great play by Jones as well, by the way, I thought, where he gets out of the pocket, creates, keeps his eyes downfield, and finds the leaking back, Brita. This is a great individual effort by Daniel. This is when Tyree Phillips is still in the game, but yes. Austin Bryant ends up doing a good job kind of pressuring. I felt like the pocket was okay, but we usually not complain, but we will critique Daniel Jones for evading a pocket. And right here, the pocket kind of holds up. You could see a lot yeah, of body. Probably should, shouldn't evade this pocket to be honest. No, but I, I, I don't mind it because he evades it and it kind of coincides directly with Matt. With the Breeder. route. Yeah. With Matt yeah, yeah. And if we I look at a it, good point. Yeah. If we look at it from the sideline angle, cause there's a lot of pressure and there's, a lot of twisting and, and, and things like that up front. We look at the route concept. He's looking at Wandale Robinson, who's running a deep inside stem and then out route, but the defender who's in trail position is all over Wandale Robinson. So really the only route that Daniel Jones can throw to is Matt Burita, and he finds him for 16 yards on this third and seven. I felt like it was a good extemporization from Daniel Jones, who I think probably thought that he was going to use his legs at first. Yes, he was definitely originally trying to just get outside because he sees, recognizes the coverage, and he knows there's a lane regardless, but thought he did a good job to adjust and instead decide to throw it because Burita was wide open, and it was a nice solution to get into the play you referenced before, which is a first and 10. This is an awesome play to watch, I thought, from Mike Kafka. Just... It's an 18-yard completion ultimately to Wandell Robinson, but there's so many details that go into this play that I like, Nick. From the start, I love the double ball fake by Daniel Jones. You'll see it from the other angle a little bit better. We'll flip that in a second. I love how he sells it. I love the attention to detail from Jones. This is like what's coached up. Like You could see this is one of their plays in practice. They've really done a good job of coaching up well because you have the cells, the cell with the ball fakes from Jones, but then you also have the cell from the route with Wandell Robinson there who does a good job of kind of like selling like he's blocking on this play but then obviously you know bouncing back out to make the play and the reception yeah Wanda Robinson does a really good job selling that block but this is uh similar to what the Giants did effectively against Chicago only they ran the bootleg every single time instead of throwing yeah. it <laughs> and this is a right. first and 10 18 yard gain to your rookie wide receiver so let's watch Wandell Robinson specifically here Wandell Robinson it's a tight bunch with the sniffer Wanda Robinson's about two yards, three yards outside of the hash. And you can see Wanda Robinson engages the block to the outside. Nobody pays attention to Wanda Robinson, not even the guy he's blocking. He has like, what, seven yards of separation and 25. Robinson ends up adjusting to the football, making a nice catch, and then taking it upfield for an extra six. The juice that Robinson put on tape in this game was the best I've seen this season. I always, I, it's a weird word, and I know it's not that descriptive of, of, it's hard to kind of explain what I mean when I say that, but just like the maximization of yards with your agility, with your acceleration, with your athleticism. And I think they're going to lose that greatly without him. Like, I don't see anyone on this roster who has anything. Like, even on that play, he adjusts to the catch on the inside shoulder, and then he just takes it for like another six yards to set up a first and goal. Like, that extra six 
it's those little extra yards that he gets with his movement skills that they're going to really miss, unfortunately. Unfortunately, you're right. I think he's a different type of player than anything the New York Giants And have. we didn't say it, by the way, Nick, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but we didn't say it, but I want to make this clear. He did, just for those who missed the news, I know not everyone is like on Twitter, like me, 24-7 looking for news, um, but he they did confirm earlier today, the Giants, that he did tear his ACL. Yeah, he's done for the season, which is just tragic, really, man. I feel so yeah. bad for the kid. And now we have a first and goal run. I felt like Andrew Thomas does a solid job on the double team with Shane Lemieux against number 90. You see how he gets to the hip and he removes him just enough. 90 does a really good job kind of anchoring down against Shane Lemieux, but Andrew Thomas just gets enough to allow Saquon Barkley to find the hole. Saquon Barkley runs through Austin Bryant, but then 31 kind of comes down and sticks him to prevent Saquon Barkley from scoring a touchdown. There was just not a lot of running room in this game. Yeah, it's really weird because this defense sucked coming into this game, this run defense. And for some reason, they weren't really able to shut down the Bears, who run a lot of zone read. But I don't know why they weren't able to, but they were able to shut down Giants. To me, it screams the interior offensive line sucked for the Giants. And the loss of having a Bellinger out there, the you know the additional blockers, the tight ends, even the extra linemen, didn't play their best game because that Bears O-line has really improved in a lot of ways. I think they were up to before last week, like the second highest ranked. It was either DVOI or Pro Football Focus. Run blocking alone, their pass blocking is still bad, but their run blocking has really improved. And they tore up the Lions on the ground. But, you know, the Giants just one week later weren't able to get anything going. You have like one team ripping through the ground. You have the other team just nothing through the ground, the Giants. So we see Derek Barnes and Alex Anzalone, the two linebackers, just penetrate right at the snap yeah. and that forced Saquon Barkley to cut back. And I actually felt like the Giants offensive line to the penetration side did a pretty good job picking up these penetrators. You could see everybody transitions off the double team. You have two double team blocks. Shane Lemieux does a good job transitioning off that block. Lewinsky does a good job transitioning off the block. And then Tyree Phillips just buries number 94. But the ball ends up getting bounced to the other side. Saquon Barkley ends up getting corralled to set up this touchdown run on a pin pull concept design quarterback run by Daniel Jones. I really think the blocking to the play side here from Darius Slayton, Wandell Robinson, and Chris Myrick is pretty damn good. Dude. Yeah, it really is. So I just made that statement earlier, but you have a play that totally refutes it on this one. And it's not like every play was poorly blocked, but this one was really well executed and it was a really good play call. And we've seen this with Dable and Buffalo. They ran QB power a lot in the red zone with Josh Allen. And I'm really glad that it's coming back with the Giants because this is something I think they can, they can steal points with for, uh, throughout the remainder of the season when they get in these red zone down to go distances 100 and look at darius slayton darius slayton's blocking austin bryant and watch how now he has the angle because he's blocking down on the pin pull concept but watch how he holds up against austin bryant like that's yeah. not easy to do that's darius slayton he's like 195 pounds soaking wet like if he doesn't do real... that seven makes the play in pursuit and we don't get this yeah no well yeah two makes the play alex anzalone has a he almost gets there but because the blocking to the play side is so effective from freaking wandale robinson who's like five foot eight blocking number five chris myra kicking out 25 and then the play side tackle and saquon barkley lead blocking to number one right here that, that's a very impressive play and i love the fact that they incorporate saquon barkley into this as a blocker and they didn't even need him on this play it was so well designed yep well said good touchdown for the giants they put points on the board this next drive is exactly where I think the game flipped completely. Now, earlier I said it was the interception and that was a momentum swing, but this next drive was a drive where the Giants have done, they've had this at times this year. To me, it defined this game, this third drive, because they should have 100% came away with points on this drive. It's the one where we have Saquon Barkley miss the hole. 
And so that alone should have put them in field goal range. If he just sees that hole, cuts it back, maybe it's even a touchdown. But what ends up happening is they bog down from a third and three with a penalty and then this and that, and they don't even get any points out of it. They have to punt, and that does kind of flip the momentum, in my mind at least. Uh, obviously, it was cemented with the interception later. But we'll start here. Nick Nick's rolling a, a little two-yard pitch here. This was a really well-played. You know, Hutchinson, I thought, and we'll get into this tomorrow, I think, more. I want to talk a little Hutchinson versus Tib with Tibbs with you, Nick, because it's definitely something I think we should discuss to me as one of the key talking points, because they were drafted so close together in this draft class and they played the same position. Um, but this was a really good play by Hutchinson. I really like what I saw from Hutchinson on tape. Same here. He's, he's a very high effort player, similar to Kayvon Thibodeau. He's a lot longer than yes. Kayvon Thibodeau. He's a lot bigger than Kayvon Thibodeau, not necessarily in weight. There's one thing about Hutch is I think he could probably add some weight. I don't know if you want to do that because he's still pretty athletic out there, but he makes this play from the backside in pursuit, just kind of seeding through traffic in a very impressive manner and tackle Saquon Barkley in space outside the numbers when he was initially aligned outside of the opposite hash. Like, that's a pretty damn good play in pursuit. And we've seen Kayvon Thibodeau make plays like that as well. But Hutch was a uh, game changer in, in this in this specific matchup. And we'll be talking about him tomorrow. Yeah, with the interception. But I think you I think that was a great call by you, Nick, because it does he it like he, he wasn't impressing me by like winning with these crazy edge bends on these pass rushes or like wild pass rush moves where he's just getting in the backfield destroying Andrew Thomas or the other or the other tackle if he's lined up in this it was a lot what you said it was like a better version of what I've seen from Thibodeau this year essentially like as far as the pursuit run plays being just longer which helps so much the length is such a big factor there um so it's been a similar kind of thing but when you have that high effort that obviously Thibodeau brings as well but yeah. you also add the length and the size to it it does make you a little bit more I, Say this, just a little sneak preview. I want to get your opinion on it. I think Kayvon Thibodeau is still quicker off the snap than Aiden. Kayvon Thibodeau is a hundred percent quicker yes. off the snap. It's why I yeah. wanted Kayvon Thibodeau over Hutchinson. I still think Kayvon Thibodeau has a higher ceiling than Aiden Hutchinson. Without it, to me, it's without a doubt. Like there are players like Thibodeau, but like I mean, I'm sorry, like Hutchinson that are interesting in the NFL that have won without having that quickness off the snap or like the edge bend, which I don't think Hutchinson really has too much of in any like elite way. But I, the floor, it's like for me, Hutchinson's floor is definitely, I didn't really, I didn't really put too much weight and I still, it's not really, I didn't put too much weight in. I would still today, if you had to draft again and you had the option, no, you were actually Hutchinson over Thibodeau to begin. I was Hutchinson over Thibodeau. And I, and I think I probably maintain that, but I don't think it's a a certainty. Like I wasn't like Hutchinson is definitely clear cut better than Thibodeau was like, who would you choose? And I I went Hutchinson. Like. And I, I'm fine with that. It, and so and far, he's been a better player. It's just a matter yeah. of like, will the ceiling that I just I'm always a ceiling swinger. I just swing in for ceiling fences, especially with pass rushers. I want that trait that Thibodeau has. It hasn't really translated to this elite pass rusher just yet. But I still think it's possible because he does have that elite get off. And we want to see more from Thibodeau. And we'll get into this tomorrow. Yeah. But I will say this, even on some of those true pass sets that Jared Goff had yesterday, there's a tight end there and he's getting chipped. Yep. The, the lack of Aziz Ojolari is an issue for Kayvon Thibodeau. Yep. It's killing him right now. That, that is, that's something that has to be considered because so much of the outside focus is always to this rookie pass rusher, Kayvon Thibodeau, because who do you have rushing on the other side? You have like O'Shane Zimenez, who's a nice player, but he's not Kayvon Thibodeau and he's not Aziz Ojolari and Jihad Ward. Of course, you're going to yeah. pay attention to Kayvon Thibodeau. And honest, quite honestly, just state of the Giants right now, state of the roster at seven and three going into this stretch. With Adoree now out for six weeks, Wandell out for the year, 
in my mind, the only way the Giants salvage the season is by getting Ojolari back, basically, because they need to have this defensive line become like a dominant force up front that's winning them football games. Like we go after, you know, we have like a, a post game recap and we're like, oh shit, the Giants won 17 13. They literally couldn't get anything going with Ojolari and Thibodeau making huge plays and Leonard and Dexter because they're just dead at corner. Like the corner situation is, is going to get real ugly right oh. now, unfortunately. It's gross. It just sucks. Like they could not afford to lose a Dory and they lost him on a special teams play. Ridiculously stupid. I'm still not over it. But then we can't even like just overlook the fact that maybe Moreau might miss time. That's devastating. Like Moreau is a necessary. Moreau was an incredibly necessary piece, not even just without the Dory Jackson. If he's injured, he's necessary no matter what. And so real worried about corner. I hate not I not having Robinson anymore. So I really feel like Aziz's return is like the most important thing for the season. And Moreau, he, he's done excellent, right? I don't want to take anything away from him. But we're at a point right now from an injury standpoint in the secondary where we're devastated by the loss of Fabian Moreau. That's where we're at. If you would have said he that at the beginning of the season. Thing. Right. They didn't come you know, into the season with a lot of talent on that defense. That's the what thing. What did we say? Damn, what did we say? We said if they suffer one injury in the secondary, yep. they're freaking screwed. They're down Xavier McKinney because of a dumb accident in Cabo. They're down their star cornerback because of a freaking so punt return mistake. Just putting them out there, it's a mistake. Let's just call it what it is. It's a freaking mistake. And they're not there with Aaron Robinson either. Three of the four starters. Julian Love's the only one left. And here they are, seven and three, which is like kind of crazy to me. But like now you still have football games win. Like the playoffs, the Giants theoretically should make the playoffs, right? But it's definitely not a certainty. They still no, have no, really no, no. I don't feel that way for sure at all. Anymore. No, I'm talking about when you look at the schedule though, yeah. and they're seven and three, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, this this is probably a playoff bound team in an NFC that's not that strong, but it's definitely not a given right now you have the eagles twice you have two competitive games against washington you got dallas this week you got minnesota who just got the asses kicked by dallas but still playing up there is difficult and the giants are not the dallas cowboys right yeah now. not have that defense and then you have indianapolis with the jeff saturday as their head coach who knows what they're going to be like at that time yeah i know they're competitive so far um those washington commander games are going to decide this just giant season it's it's at yes. that point it's like it's to me it's so obvious we'll get to oh, those games. back in there Please. What'd you say? Yeah, no, they're not putting Carson Wentz back in there. We're stuck with Heineke. It's a super annoying because a lot of things have changed. Like if we played the, the, the scheduling was annoying with the commanders. If we played the commanders in the first half of the season. We would have swept them for sure. The giants would have not. We, I hate saying we, the giants would have swept them for sure yeah. because one Carson Wentz was playing and he's worse than Heineke by far. It gives them a much worse chance to win Two, They still have the Snyder stuff hanging over. They've like literally rallied. If you look at the, the point of like when the Snyder news came out that he was going to uh, sell the team, and when it can, and like obviously these players don't want this, they freaking hate this loser. And like when he was going to sell the team, they've rallied since then. It feels like they've like been on this crazy up and up since that news came out. And so that was before that. And then lastly, we're also going to, which is just annoying. Like both games are now going to feature Chase Young. The no, Chase yeah. Young hasn't played yet this year. It's just an added piece that they have to worry about that they wouldn't have had to worry about. So that's just how it goes in the NFL with scheduling. But those games, in my mind, will decide the season. They have to at minimum split those commanders games at minimum. It's it, it does suck. The Chase Young thing really pisses me off too because that's somebody who could be a difference maker. We, we're not 100% certain how healthy he'll be, but yeah, we should right. get back. He might not be. Yeah, we should get back to this drive. This is the second yep. play of the eight play 27 yard drive that Dan and I believe was a huge missed opportunity for the New York Giants. It's a second and eight right here after the two yard halfback pitch to Saquon Barkley. And here we just have a zone read where Daniel Jones takes it for a nice chunk of nine yards to pick up the first down with Lawrence Cager and I think Kenny Galladay throwing these lead blocks. And look at Kenny Galladay. 
look, say what you want about Kenny Golly, but this guy does block his ass off. He is just blocking this dude well downfield, keeping him on the numbers, allowing Daniel Jones to have plenty of rushing space to the outside. He is. And it is what it is with Galladay. Hopefully he's going to, I mean, he's going to have to play and hopefully he plays well the rest of the season. I don't have many other options, but you know, there's moments on film with Galladay where you can really truly see what the coaches saw when they, when, you know, they haven't, you know, really decided to use him until they desperately had to. They, later in the game, we'll see it and I'll get your take on it, Nick, but the whip route later, they had a double whip route with Galladay and, um, and, and Slayton. And he threw the ball to Slayton. It was a filthy route by Slayton. It was like an 18. I, I know a player talking yeah. about. Look, and I mean, Kenny Galladay, you don't want him running whip routes. You watch though. him off that rip route, and you're like, this dude shouldn't even be in the end. It was like Solder-esque. Late, it wasn't, late career Solder-esque. But the Giants didn't even sign this guy to run. I know, those. I know. Like, he you're was right. never that kind of guy, you know? True. That's why, like, Wanda Robinson should be that dude when, when he's healthy. And, like, like we talked about on the on the last podcast, like, you can't just kind of plug Kenny Galladay into Wanda Robinson's role in 11 personnel packages because he's never going to be able to execute those effectively and with speed and athletic ability. While we're on the zone read for nine yards, Nick, I want to ask you a question about this. By the way, it's good, good handoff. The or I mean, good take by Daniel Jones. Right. Look at look at Hutch. Hutch really just bites down the line of scrimmage. Yes. That's a really bad play by the rookie there. And that's what I want to ask you right there, right? So after the game, Carl Banks tweeted at me that he felt from his initial watch of the game. Not is not like he didn't see the film yet. This was a Sunday night that Daniel Jones should have kept it more on these zone reads, and there were multiple plays where he felt like. He hurt the Giants by not keeping the ball. Now we had said, and I responded at the time, I want to see the film, but I'd said like up until this point in the season, and we go over this every week on tape, like I thought Jones has made great decisions. Like he's read that end man in the line of scrimmage, the read defender, and he's either kept it or give it. He had like one I could remember where he made the wrong decision on film, maybe two. Um, but what I thought about after watching the tape, Nick, and we'll get to it later. There's one later where he reads the end man, the defender, and the end man is, and this is way late in the game, like maybe their second to last or last touchdown drive. He reads the end man. The end man doesn't doesn't bite on the run. He still keeps it and he beats the guy around. And that's kind of what I was going to ask you. Like, at some point, do you abandon the rules and do you just say, I trust Daniel Jones's functional athleticism and his lateral agility to beat the end man? And should for that reason, he keep the ball more so the end man isn't crap, you know, so you can maybe open up something more for Barkley. I think there were two times in this game where where what you just said made sense. And I think we already went over one where it was like the guy was disciplined, but he's like 280 pounds. Right. And Daniel Jones has a lot of space before the hash to the sideline. So I think Daniel Jones would more than likely outrun him, but handing the football off, I don't think it was a terrible read. It's just that defender ended up making a really good play as we kind of went over. So I, I think there's something to it, but I don't really believe it's just Daniel Jones leaving points out there because he is reading the defender well. Like right here, he reads the defender, right. sees it, and keeps it. He's going to do that again, I think, a little bit later. But there just are times where you're like, Daniel Jones, you got to realize you're a really good athlete. And if that guy pinches even a little bit, I think you can take it. You know, And I think that kind of just goes to your point, maybe even Carl's point. That, I think, was Carl's point. And it was interesting because I was like, you know, he's following the rules. He's making the right read. But at some point, you wonder, like, is the right read the wrong decision? That's like the funny thing to think about. In in the passing game, it's probably never the wrong decision. If you make the right read, that's the best decision to where they'll go with the football. But in the run game, it's in the zone read game, it's almost like, well, if he can beat this dude around the edge, maybe he does make the quote unquote wrong read because he knows that he can actually beat this guy. Meanwhile, this end who's respecting him around the edge and he's replaying it right with discipline, he could still crash and make the play on Barker. We saw that so often, like. On Z zone reads, the ones that he did give to Barkley, dude, there's just nothing going when they handed it to Barkley on those plays. And again, a lot of it also comes down to, even if you go back to the last play we went over, 
It's what this defensive line is doing up front. Right. Saying Aiden Hutchinson on this play stays put and he doesn't crash down the line of scrimmage. And then Daniel Jones just hands it off to Saquon Barkley. If you look, you have Alex Anzalone who's blitzing. He's picked up by Andrew Thomas. And then you have a hat on hat climbing up to the linebacker. So both the linebackers are eliminated and you have all the defensive backs, all the defensive ends blocked. So theoretically, you should hand the football off if that defender did stay stay put. And Saquon Barkley would not have a defender to deal with that is not accounted for by the offensive line. But Aline McNeil slants away from Shane Lemieux right here. And if Daniel Jones did hand this football off, it's more than likely a tackle for a loss. Or maybe that's not Aline McNeil. But whoever that is, that defensive line, look how he slants and he shoots into the A-gap, dips that outside shoulder, and then he's right in the Saquon Barkley's lap. Like the Giants need to do a better job protecting themselves from these slanting defensive linemen because of this entire game, it was an issue, specifically in the first half. But that was also the half that was competitive. And what would be the counter in your mind uh, from a football standpoint to to protect yourself against slanting defensive linemen. Well, like like we said a little bit earlier, I think the play action boot, I think running a counter if you are under center yeah. or even out of the pistol or something like that, uh, something that's going to get them out of position, but you got to run away from the slant, right? Like the Giants right. right here, they're in shotgun and Saquon Barkley is to Daniel Jones's left. More than likely, you're not going to run Saquon Barkley to your left here, right? So one way to counter it is the zone read right here. It's just the Lions are not disciplined. So you have everybody slant the, the defense slants to their left. Daniel Jones runs to his left, which is opposite of direction. So now you have less defenders and Daniel Jones ends up picking up nine yards. It just seemed like every time the Detroit lions slanted, it was always when the giants did not have a counter to the slant. You know, it wasn't like every single play they slanted. It's just, it seemed like the timeliness of the calls from Aaron Glenn yeah. really worked against the New York giants. I think that's really well said. I think maybe it has to do with what they saw on film. They read the formations and the personnel groupings so well to know when to slant those linemen um, to take advantage of the play calls. And that's kudos to Aaron Glenn, who has had a really rough year as defensive coordinator for the Lions. Um, just a weird, weird game, like in that sense. I mean, again, this Lions defense came in so bad, uh, but it is what it is. We get into this first and 10 situation. It's a little two yard gain here on the zone read inside. It's a zone read again, and you can see how Kaminsky this time, he stays put, Giants hand the football off, but what does Aaron Glenn do with Alex Anzalone? We said this at the top of the show. Alex Anzalone, whenever they thought the Giants were going to run the football, look, run blitz. He's going right through the A-gap, right where Saquon Barkley is going to get the football to mitigate the zone read. This is eliminating the zone read. As long as John Kaminsky is disciplined, Daniel Jones is going to hand the football off here, and you're going to have Alex Anzalone penetrating the path right where Saquon Barkley is going to go. And that's one negative about running out of shotgun, right? It's because a lot of times when you run out of shotgun, you know that it's going to go to the opposite side of where the running back is aligned. Detroit just reads it right here, and you have too many defenders for Saquon Barkley to avoid, and this ends up going for nothing. Yep. And then there's the second and eight play. That's the offensive pass interference that comes comes back. We'll skip to the second and 18. This is a, one of the better plays by Daniel Jones in the game. Love this play by Jones. I love the eye. I love the eye discipline here. I love how he holds on the right side of the line of scrimmage, snaps back to his left, then rips that ball into Kenny Galladay into that window. That is what I want to see. I want to see him use his head to take advantage of the defender. He confirms what he sees with the coverage post snap, holds the, the second level long enough to create that little hole. You could see the linebacker cheat over with Daniel Jones's eyes, and that creates the passing lane. And then he just drives the football with Kenny Galladay, a good drive throw. I love this play. This is a 15-yard catch to Kenny Galladay. I feel like you broke it down really well. We'll watch it from the sideline angle really fast. But Daniel Jones, what he does with his eyes here from a mental standpoint to look defenders off and create 
throwing lanes. This is advanced quarterbacking on this play. It's one of the better plays from Daniel Jones in this game. Yeah, he has a really later in the game. He has like a play where he goes through three progressions really I fast. Know. That I know was, the exact play you're talking about. So that sexy. was like the most advanced quarterback in play I've seen. I've seen him do this a little bit. It's where he just kind of like holds to one side of the field and moves that middle defender. Still great, but and and, uh, and it deserves all the praise that we just gave it. But yeah, I, we'll we'll get to that one. That'll be an exciting one to break down as well. It leads to this third and three, um, where obviously this is a good read by Daniel Jones on another zone read. Um, I think what's the coolest part about this is the pre-snap orbit motion from Wandell Robinson, kind of just a little bit of eye candy. Um, and then obviously Jones does a good job of reading down here, but the, the, the edge guy stays pretty disciplined here. I think this was one where Jones actually did trust his ability to, to win. Yeah. Kind of just what we were talking about. Yeah. The edge guy, his hips though are oriented towards Matt Breida a little bit. And you can see how his feet right. are angled more towards Matt Breida at the mesh point. His eyes and his focus are more towards Matt Breida. So Daniel Jones, like we said, trusts his athletic ability on this one. It picks up, I think, seven yards on the third and three. So nice, tough play. Takes a hit at the end of the play. Hate to see that. And so they're moving at this point, dude. They're past midfield. This is, should be a scoring drive. And this is kind of the play that defines the drive here, the one we referenced earlier. Saquon uh, Barkley just misses the cutback lane here. And if he's decisive with it, if he sees the cutback lane, if he processes it fast, if he plants his foot and drives vertically, who knows what this play is, man, because it's there. You guys can see it. Nick has it paused right now. If he cuts right here, plants on his right, drives vertically toward the left uh, shoulder of Mark Lewinsky here, he has that lane. He can drive right into that safety there. But who knows? Once he gets into that green space, he can cut back once more toward the middle or do whatever he needs to do, basically, to win one-on-ones, as he has been all year. Because you can see the other safety is kind of taking himself out of the play by crashing down toward where it looks like Barkley might go, but if he just bang hits the cutback lane there, and I'm really curious why he didn't here. Um, I don't think he knew it was there. I think his yeah. aiming point is the right leg of Matt Parrott, and it's because Chris Myrick is the sniffer right off that, and then there's a five technique or, or six technique, if you want to call him that, and that kind of forms a double team, but then you have the number 25, the cornerback, who's over Darius Slayton, kind of crash right inside, and now you have two bodies on three blockers, but it's all congested and tight with Mark Lewinsky climbing to locate that linebacker. But if you look at the stripe of Saquon Barkley's helmet, it never really goes to his left. And I just feel like this is a huge missed opportunity by Barkley because John Feliciano takes the one technique and throws him to the ground. This is when slanting can work against you because the one technique slants away from where Saquon Barkley is going to go. And John Feliciano just uses his momentum and brings him to the ground. And now you have a huge huge hole in the a gap to the play side. It's just never recognized. So that's one time when slanting can definitely work against you. Cause if Saquon Barkley saw that cutback lane, Dan, this is a huge run. It's just going to be that safety essentially against Saquon Barkley. Cause Alex Anzalone, not even paying attention right. to Saquon Barkley because the New York giants are doing some sort of blocking to that side. It looks like I I'm not sure if he thought it was a pass play or something. Cause yeah, it does. Cause Wando Robinson kind of releases off the line of scrimmage. And I think he believes it might be a pass, but it's just going to be a block. Alex Anzalone didn't even pay attention to Saquon Barkley. Barkley. This would have been a nice huge run, especially when you're looking at it on this angle, but a yeah, missed opportunity, man. Yeah, it's a huge run in one-on-one in space. It's potentially a touchdown with a player like Barkley. At worst, it gets you immediately into field goal range. This drive results in a punt. So at a minimum, took three points off the board, unfortunately, in a time when you want to establish the momentum and get key points. But it does set up a second and six where they kind of try to roll like a little PA rollout to the boundary here with Wandell Robinson. They've had some success with this at times in this game. This one, though, the Lions played pretty well and stopped for a three-yard gain. Yeah, it's at the boundary, so you have a short field. Wandell Robinson comes from the opposite side, kind of slides underneath 
Daniel Jones and Daniel Jones just pitches it to him. Lawrence Cager looks like he might be open, but I think the safety is working over the top to eliminate that. So I don't mind. Yeah, I think he is. So I don't mind Daniel Jones just kind of getting into the rollout, squaring up, and then finding Wondell Robin. You can kind of see Daniel Jones flash his eyes deep to see what's going on. Doesn't like it. Just takes Wondell Robinson at the bottom of the numbers, but the Giants fail to pick up the first down, but they get three yards on this play. Yep. Well, we'll just, I'll briefly go over why I thought the third and three was funny because in your notes, you wrote Lemieux literally gets tossed aside like toilet paper. I was thinking when you wrote that down, Nick, and when I read that, does toilet paper get tossed aside or does it get tossed like down and out? Like aside, nobody, I hope people aren't throwing toilet paper aside, like over their shoulder to the right or left and like just on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on mischief night i'm sure they, uh, they do. Okay, okay but yeah no i wasn't talking about when you're just throwing it and discarding it into the toilet uh, i hope okay. not. this is the type of analysis we well, get who here. are you referring to then oh just toilet paper is very light and oh, it's, okay, and it's okay, disposable okay. Oh, so. the, okay okay i i, I got gotcha. we're not seeing that for the youtube that's on the third and three <laughs> when we don't have that play up here this is the third and eight play where shane lemieux does not get tossed aside like tissue paper toilet paper or whatever kind of paper we want to say daniel jones just throws this ball out of bounds on this play. And it looks like Wondell Robinson was open. Let's see. He gets held there. Do you see that, Dan? Yeah, Robinson gets held and still is able to create separation. Like right, like that that's a defensive hold, I think, at that point. That they should have called. Like, I'm okay with the contact here, 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 but at this point when he's breaking back inside, 25 is beat. His leverage is to the inside Move of Wondell Robinson, but his yep. momentum is going to the other side, right? Yep, exactly right. It's a it's and even so, even after the hole, Jones could have hit him. Jones probably could have threw that ball. Yeah, I would I would say so. He had the linebackers pursuing, but I think there was a window. It was just a little bit tight, and Jones Very didn't pull the trigger. But again, this is a third and eight. You're at midfield. Like the Giants need to these are gotta have it type plays. Like right now, coming out of your break, Wondell Robinson's open and, and there is a window for Jones to get it through. He has to get over ninety seven though, which a little bit later in the game we, we find out is not the easiest thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I think on that play. It would look worse to me on the broadcast. When I watch that play on film, I, I, we're going to go over it next drive, so I, I'll just leave it for then. But I just feel like the decision is made with that. Like, you, we'll see when we go over it. We'll see from this angle. I think it shows the best. But anyway, this third this and eight is, tougher, is not yeah, This third and eight is a little tougher, right? Yes. Like, Wandell's open, but those two defenders who are right there, Jones would have to really change his arm trajectory up to, to hit Wandell Robinson in stride. You have two other routes with, with defenders, so... It's a it's a crappy situation. You just wish somebody else got open on this third and eight, and the protection kind of ended up breaking down. But Jones also rolled to his right, kept his eyes downfield, so he couldn't use his athletic ability to outrun Hutchinson to the sideline. I'm wondering if Jones would have been able to do that if he just took off running at this point, like right when he's kind of at that near hash. It's possible. It he's is possible. Shown, he's shown a lot from that standpoint throughout his career, from that athleticism standpoint. But that was again, a big turning point because you know, they take points off the board with Barkley missing the hole. And then obviously having to punt out of that game still within reach though. The giants are, I think at this point even have the lead. And then they have that fourth drive where they have the two plays in the interception. So it's like back to back momentum killing drives. They took off three points with that. And they added points here to the Lions score by them scoring off of this turnover. So it was just a really changing momentum point. It starts with this little four yard run here where the giants again, bring that sixth offensive lineman as a tight end. Which I like, man, because look at Nick Gates and how effective Nick Gates can be in those situations. Even though he allows the defender to get inside, his hands are fitted inside, and that defender can't do anything except just get in the way. If that was Lawrence Cager there, it it would not have looked that effective because I think that's going up against who's at 79. I I believe that's Kaminsky, who was like 300 pounds. Yep, exactly. 
And so, yeah, it is something Brinkle, I think, will continue to see. Well, the, then again, the depth is now being challenged on the offensive line. So maybe not if Gates has to start at center or if they decide to let him start at center. And here, Nick's running the interception. Again, from this angle, look, it's a bad throw, but this to me is not as bad as like the Rams interception last year, where what's his name? What's that? Uh, uh, that, that Taylor that, Rapp. Taylor Rapp. Where Taylor Rapp, where he just like doesn't see Taylor Rapp, or like earlier in the season against Carolina, where he like, doesn't see Luvavu. This was a different. This isn't really a linebacker. <laughs> What's his name? Lavu. Luvu. Luvavu. This is like different because I feel like he's really just like hitting that back foot and ripping, and it's like he's not even really taking the time to look over to his left at that edge. Is he supposed to be looking to his left at the edge? It looks like, look, on paper, it looks horrible. It looks like he's looking directly at Aiden and throws it anyway right to him. Um, but, I mean, I don't know if he's, like, what he's being taught here. Like, is he supposed to account for the edge? What do you, what do you make of this play? Ideally, yes, you would want him to see okay. this edge. But he's have a, he has a backside route coming across the middle of the field from Darius Slayton from a reduced play. And this is play action. So he's flashing his eyes. He's setting and he's hitting his back foot, and then he's just getting his eyes on Darius Slayton to see where Alex Anzalone is. That's the defender that he is primarily worried about because Alex Anzalone is supposed to be in the throwing window where Darius Slayton right. is. You can see right there. He sees Alex Anzalone flow to his left, so he never even thinks to check for Aiden Hutchinson, but Aiden Hutchinson sinks into Alex Anzalone's window. So yes, he should have checked to see if that throwing window was there, especially with Darius Slayton having as much separation against a cornerback who has outside leverage. This is kind of like almost a trap right here for the Giants because that cornerback has outside leverage and he just loses inside. Anzalone flows over to the play action element of Saquon Barkley. Huge throwing window, right? Not so much because I felt like Aaron Glenn did a good job just telling Aiden Hutchinson to fake like you're coming, hold Andrew Thomas, and then sink underneath any crossing route. It's exactly what he did. Yeah, I almost feel like watching it again, it's like the Lions got a little bit lucky here because if that lane is that that throwing lane isn't so easy right off he right when he hits his back foot, flips his hips and like drop tries to, and makes decisions throw the football. If he has like a more muddied pocket there and there's not just that wide open lane, he might actually decide to check like survey a little bit more of the field and see that dropping Hutchinson. But because it's just such a wide open throwing lane, he can really narrow his focus with his eyes through that lane. And that and he's not in that lane at that point, Hutchinson. He's kind of in a little bit more outside of that. Like you I'm not so sure you're like look at his helmet there. Like it looks almost like he's looking at Hutchinson, but he's he could just be staring right down the middle there. I'm wondering if he if he notices it at this moment and he's like, I'm just gonna try to put it high. And then Hutchinson just kind of goes up and grabs it. Like right. he definitely didn't notice when he went into his throwing motion. Like at this moment, if you're watching on YouTube, Daniel Jones is rearing back. He's stepping with that lead foot. He has his wide base. He's going to throw the football. I think it's probably at like this moment, right where he's rotating to throw this football that he sees the sinking Aiden Hutchinson and goes, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> and he just put it right in his hand. And that's an athletic play too from Hutchinson, who seems a lot longer than he actually is. I checked his mock draftable. This guy has like really short arms and it definitely doesn't look like it when he's out there, but he had like, like surprisingly short arms for, for someone as long as he is. Yeah. Um, obviously there didn't look like it. he looked like a receiver making that catch. That's a hands catch better than like half the giants receivers catch with their hands. <laughs> Maybe all, all of them. I think they have a single hands catcher on this roster. I think Galladay might be the only, like he's not a great catcher, but he's a hands catch. I don't know. I just don't see it from Slayton that all Slayton does sometimes, but Wanda let it get into his body a bunch. But anyway, great catch by Hutchinson. Um, so it leads us to this fifth drive here. This is a 10, six, uh, game for Detroit right here. So again, remember it was six, three giants. 
They take the three off with the Barkley missed uh, read. Then they take, then they give another seven points here to, to Detroit after the turnover, after the interception, it led to seven. So now they're down in this game, 10, six, they start the drive um, with a nice little play. looks like to Wandell Robinson. This is a, a good read by Daniel Jones, where the giants are in shotgun. They're back on their own goal line. The ball is on their five yard line and Saquon Barkley goes into the mesh point. Daniel Jones. I don't think this isn't an RPO. I don't believe it. I believe this is just a play action. doesn't really look like he's reading much. And if he was reading anybody is John Kaminsky who doesn't press. So you would just hand the football off to Saquon Barkley. So play action element with Lawrence Cager running a clear out route. Wondell Robinson sliding underneath that initial read defender. Wanda Robinson just outruns 300 pound John Kaminsky or however heavy he is for a nice 24 yard gain. This Good, good first play of this drive. You needed this type of play, Dan, right after that interception, that touchdown. You want to pick up a good chunk of yardage when you're backed up like that. And the Giants started off this drive pretty well. And then they try this back shoulder to Slayton, not able to connect. It's a good adjustment by Slayton. I thought it was pretty good ball placement by Daniel Jones. It's a windy game, though, out there. You could see it with the with the uh, pylon there on the, on the uh, upright. It's kind of moving right before the snap. And so I think ultimately this is just a tough, a tougher catch than it looks on film. Right. So after that back shoulder miss, we'll get a second and 10 play here. This is a really nice design and a really nice throw from Daniel Jones here. He throws a 13-yarder to Cager over the middle of the field. But what I really like about it is it's a muddied pocket. The twist and game up front does create pressure immediately in Jones's face. He stays in the pocket. And look at the ball placement on the throw. You can see from this angle. He throws it in the middle of those two defenders. That's technically a whole shot these are not the whole shots i was referencing earlier the whole shots i referenced earlier are kind of more are, are not kind of are toward the sideline those are the ones i want to see more of the sideline whole shots but it's still a nice whole shot here and like i said great ball placement fits it between those two defenders yeah both those defenders end up kind of fanning outward so lawrence cager does a really good job just finding space in the void of this cover too and makes a nice catch and i like how jones puts it right on that outside shoulder of Lawrence Cager. I know there's two guys in that zone, but I think he probably viewed Barnes more as a threat. So he puts it towards Anzalone's side. This ends up going for a nice gained Cager. But if you looked up front, Dan, oof, there was a twist up front and the protection was not great by the New York Giants. I feel like two guys ended up kind of crashing into the pocket on Daniel Jones, which makes that throw even more impressive. Exactly. That's what makes the throw even more impressive. Makes and you can see Matt Parrott too, man. Matt Parrott, this is kind of what I was talking about. It goes with that outside hand punch. Watch how number 25, who is a defensive back, mind you, just swims around him. Like that's not something you would love to see from an offensive tackle. Definitely not something you want to see from an offensive tackle there, but convert nonetheless. Lawrence Cager has been second game in a row. He played by far and away the most snaps of any tight end. He's essentially become the Giants starting tight end after being just like claimed on waivers midseason. Not ideal, to be honest with you. I, I like this offense a lot better when Bellinger was taking those snaps. Absolutely. It fits into their identity because Bellinger can block. Cager's not really a blocker. He's more of a wide receiver, and you could see it. And I actually appreciate his skill set as a receiving threat, but you don't want to really align him in line and have him block these defense. Like Daniel Bellinger was blocking like big defensive linemen. <laughs> and like he wasn't always dom like he wasn't dominating them like ever, but he was losing slowly enough. And whenever he got up on a linebacker or a, a cornerback, mind you, or a safety, he was really doing well. Cager's not that guy. And, and I feel like this offense has really suffered because of that. Yep. I think that's well said by you. Okay. So we move past that. We have a little four yard, just a uh, zone, uh, four yard uh, end around with Robinson, which we just flashed up there. 
Um, little jet sweep action there with Robinson leads to the second and six PA rollout. This is one right here too, man, that second and six play action rollout. Cause the giants are going to end up punting this football after this. And these kind of plays where, where you need something. And I feel like you have Darius Slayton at this moment. Maybe you can rip the football, but Alex Anzalone is kind of in that throwing line, similar to the Wando Robinson play that we just went over. And Daniel Jones doesn't take it, but I don't really hate the fact that he didn't take it because you could see on the end zone angle that it seems like Anzalone is, is there, but he's kind of hesitant to commit to the run. And once he chooses to run, Darius or who's that? Darius Slayton or Lawrence Cager just doesn't end up blocking the, the cornerback in the flat. So Daniel Jones can't pick up the first down. So it was almost like a worst case scenario here. It's either throw the football or run and get yardage, but you need your guy to block for you. And Cager just doesn't here. And that's inexcusable. Now Jones might've been able to throw the football at this moment, but he's already committing to running and he's expecting Cager to throw that block on the cornerback, but nobody blocks. And Daniel Jones ends up getting tackled like four yards before the sticks and or five yards before the sticks, which was a horrendous outcome for that type of play. Yeah, you're right. I mean, part of me is like, look, they really played this well. And Anzalone's in the throwing lane. It would have had to be one of those like Mahomes, Allen, Herbert type, like like you said, like adjustments at the last second. Even after you commit to the run, you still have the arm talent to just like decide to throw it there once you realize the guy's open. Um, you know, you don't see those plays too often from Jones. They're, they're more of the, you know, he's better on when he's like, like you said, made his decisive decision earlier. Like if I'm going to run, I decide to run. I pick up the run. If I'm going to pass like we saw earlier on that uh, similar type of route where he hit like this same type of route, but converted it uh, earlier in the game. He'd made that decision earlier and he was decisive with it. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, I, I don't blame him too much for not making this throw, but it does lead to a third and five situation where this is the call. I think a lot of the Giants fans hated here on the third and five. Um, because some people felt like it should have been pass interference. I ultimately think I'm happy the NFL if they don't make these calls. But again, like you mentioned in the last podcast, Nick, if you're not going to make this call, fine, but then don't throw the flag on McFadden in the red zone on the two drive, you know, on a drive earlier. So just has to stay consistent. It wasn't consistent. And the last reason the Giants won or lost this football game was because of the refs. So let's just lay that out there. But I did feel like they were a little inconsistent with their play call, specifically on this one. Wondell Robinson, like you said, man, I'm fine with this not getting called, but there is contact on that hip. I think the ball placement is there. I think Wondell Robinson just needs to catch this football. The ball placement, maybe you could say, is a touch off, but look how close the defender. Like That's tight coverage right there. It's a very catchable football. Wondell Robinson has very short arms, and he's not a hands catcher, and the ball ends up going through his hands on this play. It's just kind of unfortunate, but you have to have it, man. You got a second and six, which is a good situation to be in. And one guy doesn't throw a block. Daniel Jones doesn't throw the football, decides to commit to the run. Not everybody was on the same page. He set up a third and freaking five. And what happens? The Giants do not complete the pass, right? And Wando Robinson was in your hands. It just doesn't complete the pass. Jamie Gillen comes out, punts the ball 25 freaking yards. The Lions end up scoring again, I think, on the next drive. So, it's one of those things, man, where you're like, these are why this is why you lose football games. It's yes. One, like little sequences like this, which doesn't seem like a crazy thing when you're watching the game, but little sequences like this is why the Giants lost this football game. It's it's this chunk. It's after that interception up until the No, it's the before the interception. It's, it's it's right when Barkley decides before the interception not even, to pick that hole. Uh, I agree, but yeah. even even after that, like it was the fact that you allowed the the Lions to double dip right before the half and then right coming out of halftime with 14 points right there. Like mm -hmm. it's very hard to overcome that.
Yeah, it is. And especially when they score on their first drive after that of the half. It's just like pounding you through those drives. But we'll we'll go over this quick six drive with seven plays. Uh, before halftime, they had 44 seconds left on the clock. Um, again, they only got seven plays off here. It ended with like a delay of game and a drop. And it's just a, a bit of a messy drive here for the Giants down 17-6, trying to put some points on the board. You have the first play here. And my focus that I want to put on is just Shane Lemieux there at the left guard spot. You can see, I mean, there is an opportunity to get the ball to Wondell Robinson, but Jones is being backed up into the pocket by Shane Lemieux. It kills his pocket uh, pocket integrity. It doesn't allow him to step into this throw. This is a tough throw. It can be made, but you have to put really good ball placement on it. And that's not as easy when you have a left guard being pushed right back into the pocket and then ultimately disengaged with McNeil coming right down on him. And the Giants got exactly what they wanted here because yeah. Detroit is in a too high shell. It looks like pre-snap, but it, they rotate to some sort of cover one type of look, maybe not cover one per se, but you have the safety who looks like he's in a deep half responsibility drop over the top of Wando Robinson. Wando Robinson has inside leverage and then 24 doesn't sink to a depth. He sees Saquon Barkley running the wheel and then he sees Tanner Hudson release on a drag round. He follows Tanner Hudson across the middle of the field and doesn't sink to a depth. That's exactly what the Giants want on this deep horizontal crossing route. You can see Wando Robinson break open, but Daniel Jones overthrows him because the pressure is so bad right in his face. And this, to me, was the final straw with the coaches for Shane Lemieux. They watched this rep. They knew what could have been if Lemieux just held up. And he already was having a bad game to begin with. And he was benched, what, at halftime? Yeah, I believe so. Yep. So this, this is, to me, probably the play that really stood out. Here's a second and 10. Jones tries to first escape toward the, toward the I guess, the A-gap just to run with the football. Um, but ultimately realizes that it closes really fast. Uh, and so he just tries to get the ball out the last second of Barkley. This is a nice play by Alim McNeil to spin back inside, but I'm wondering if this is another kind of demerit to Shane Lemieux because how many times have we seen guards, whenever they get a defensive lineman in this position, I believe they're taught to open that A-gap up, right? Like open right. it up and allow Daniel Jones to step up. You can see John Feliciano doing that on the other side with 96. Alim McNeil puts him into a position where he's attacking the outside shoulder, but Shane Lemieux has a soft shoulder, man, soft inside shoulder, and he allows him to just crash right back down the A-gap. And Daniel Jones just takes a massive hit right here from someone who's like 315 pounds. Off of Lemieux's guy. Yep, that was a great observation. And that's just another, you know, chalk it up to another bad rep for Shane Lemieux that, that the coaches are obviously seeing and it's leading to his benching. See, it's up this third and 10 here, though. So at least we get this just for the fun of it. It's a really beautiful throw here by Jones to get them out of a third and long situation here. He moves from the pocket. This was, to me, the second best throw of the game and up there for top five of my favorite Jones throws on the year. If I'm going to be honest, I just love whenever he hits receivers on the sideline. Pocket collapses. He does, he rolls to his right and then gets the ball into that window. That's the window I want to see. Those are the whole shots I want to see more often from him. Uh, and when he can do it like that and make it look like this, you'll see it from this angle, the end zone angle. It just looks so pretty, man. Like pressure's coming in. The pocket's collapsing. Rolls to his right. As he's rolling to his right here, he's keeping his eyes down the field. And then he drops the ball right over that defender and into a bucket right on the sideline for, for a bit toe tap. So it's like not too far to the left where the, the, the defensive back can make a break on it. Not too low where the second level defender can get his hands on it and pick it or tip it and just dropping into that bucket. Basically, this is a beautiful throw. Yeah, really like this play. Mark Lewinsky gets just bullied right into the back of the lap of Daniel Jones. And if you're watching on YouTube, just look at the throwing platform of Daniel Jones. He's not on one. <laughs> he literally yeah. jump throws this and it's right on target. One of the more impressive. That's arm talent right there. That's off That's the platform. 
traject- changing his trajectory, using the ball, uh, using his velocity and trajectory to layer the ball over that second level defender, and then Pink drops right into the into the basically the 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 bas- the bread basket of that receiver and on the sideline. That's one of his best throws of this season for sure. Mind you, the score right now is 17 to six. There's 44 seconds left at the start of this draft. So the Giants are in an up-tempo type of mode right here, trying to get into field goal range. That is a big play on a third and 10 for 19 yards. And Daniel Jones and Wondell Robinson follow it up with a nice 15-yard strike. The end of this play, I believe there's 29 seconds left on the clock. Like this play as well. No timeouts. The the Detroit Lions send their middle linebacker on a blitz to five-man pressure. Well, actually, it's a simulated pressure because Aiden Hutchinson sinks off with Saquon Barkley, and Daniel Jones just keeps his eyes downfield. The protection holds up. That's a strike right on the outside shoulder of Wondell Robinson. Gets him across midfield. Yep, that's a strike right after this 19-yarder for 15. Then there's still a no huddle here. Clock's running. Clock's running. Uh, They face a cover two look from the Lions here, um, and Jones is just forced to throw it away. Yeah, DJ throws this ball away. I kind of wish that Mike Kafka because you don't have any timeouts at this point. I wish Mike Kafka did not have two of the primary routes breaking over the middle right. of the field. I know they're just trying to strike an area where they believe the Detroit Lions aren't going to be, but if you ran seven routes against this coverage, which is just cover two, that's what the Lions decided to run. Just country cover two at this point, Tampa two, because Anzalone's sinking maybe a little bit deeper. But if Cager doesn't go over the middle of the field or Hodgins, whoever that is, who's streaking at the 40-yard line, and he just breaks to the seven, you have a high-low on the flat defender. And even pre-snap, I guess you don't really have – you have somewhat of a look that looks like it could be cover two. So I just think maybe playing more towards the sidelines makes a little bit more sense than, than having a sure. bunch of routes going over the middle of the field. I think that's fair. I think that's a fair criticism here of Kafka on this. Uh, but ultimately, it doesn't happen. <laughs> Throw it away. One final play, they take a delay of game, and then that puts them even further back. Um, and then, you know, they just, I think it ends with like a little potential drop from Saquon Barkley. Yeah, the, well, there's Saquon Barkley, this drop I mean, that almost goes for an interception. That is, is, yeah, that's a, such a low, that's a, te- it's a, it's not a bad decision. I just don't like the play call. I just go to the half at this point or throw something toward the sideline out of bounds. Um, I mean, just like, what are you going to accomplish there with no timeouts by throwing into the middle of the field to Barkley? Yeah, here's the last play yeah, of the, the half. So. Play, correct. Yep. And I like this blitz call from Aaron Glenn. So Alex Anzalone and the defender, Julian Aquaro, who's over Wandel Wandel Robinson, they're both going to come on this blitz. You have Austin Bryant, who's just going to occupy Andrew Thomas. And that's just to the, so you're going to have a three versus two with Shane Lemieux and Andrew Thomas. But watch how Alex Anzalone just runs directly at Shane Lemieux. I'm going to run directly at Shane Lemieux. Now I'm going to go after your inside shoulder. And at that same time, you have a quarter just going right through the B gap because Andrew Thomas can't field him with Austin Bryant engaging him. And that just forces Shane Lemieux to be a step late. The fact that Alex Anzalone's path was directly at him and he had to pay attention to him initially. So I just felt like that was a nice blitz design that gets pressure on Daniel Jones and ultimately results in Daniel Jones getting tackled i believe this might have been a sack by john kaminsky but either way it's the end of the half yep half over there and so the first play i mean the first drive of the second half the lions actually went right down and scored a touchdown and that does in some ways define the rest of the game because at this point the giants are now operating out of their worst deficit that they they at least from early in the second half because this is the beginning of the third quarter their worst deficit of the season they're down 24 to 6 it's multiple scores or like they've been down 17 before going into the fourth quarter things like that 
Um, this is only 18, but so it's only a point more, but it's still a huge deficit early on. So you would think it can change what they want to do in some ways, but they do come out here and they try once again to run this HB pitch, which has worked for them in the past. But once again, Detroit Lions defense just playing everything good in the run game. And look at the front. You see a tight front here. Basically six guys on the line of scrimmage, if you include 25, who is in a press alignment. So you have a lot of big boys on the line of scrimmage. Giants try to fake the jet sweep, run the little halfback pitch off of it. Played really well. Look at Kenny Galladay blocking Aiden Hutchinson. Galladay's tasked to block down Aiden Hutchinson. Now, Hutchinson like bullies him back, but honestly, Galladay does his job. Now, Hutchinson maybe elongates the path of Barkley a little bit towards the numbers, but a wide receiver holding up against an edge rusher like that is is better than expected, I think. Yeah, he does a good job. He tries to, you know, it's a good block. You're right. But obviously the play overall doesn't go for anything. Second and 10 situation set up here. So here's a second and 10, 11 personnel for the Giants. We saw a lot of 11 personnel in this game out of necessity. And it's just a play action, little little quick hitter to Saquon Barkley. Yeah, pick up six yards out of 11 personnel. It looked like the uh, Lions were twisting up front, still in their tight front, their bare front. Three guys. Inside, you can see how they take that offensive lineman and kind of loop it right into Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones takes a hit. Barkley catches the football, but gets tackled essentially immediately to set up a third and four. So go back real quick. This is one I do have. Does any part of you, when you see this cover one look pre-snap with the middle of the field safety, does any part of you want to see Jones potentially take that shot along the right sideline to Galladay here? I don't know if 39 is going to be playing the way he's playing if if it wasn't for Daniel Jones's actions now for those who aren't watching it's cover one kenny galladay releases outside 39 is acting like this is a too high and i think maybe dude this might just be pure disrespect towards kenny galladay i'm a little curious because 39 gets held right. in place look at his it, leverage the corner it's a cover two look yeah he's inside and he sees saquon barkley leaking out from the middle of the field not from the flat leaking out into the flats and he kind of comes off Kenny Galladay and nobody's sinking over the top of Kenny Galladay. The, the closest defender other than number 39 is a safety who is literally on the NFL emblem. And Daniel Jones is already releasing the football to Saquon Barkley, but this is from the field side. Maybe this is just a lack of respect for Kenny Galladay's vertical ability. And they just don't think that Daniel Jones is going to press the football to him from the field side. Cause that safety does not look concerned. I think this is a too high cover two type defense where the middle of the field safety is much more concerned about Wandale Robinson and Darius Slayton's crossing routes rather than the far hash throw to Kenny Galladay. Yeah. I mean, that's, maybe it's partially, they don't respect Galladay. Maybe it's partially, they just don't trust this offense to burn them taking shots along the sideline because they just don't take shots along the sideline very often. Now the pass pro is terrible in this too. There really is. If he wants to make this throw, he has to do it early. But like, I just wish this offense took more of those shots, man. I mean, it's a single high middle of the field closed look before the snap. And you, there's enough space to that, to that side of the field that you can throw back shoulder there. It's Galladay. I don't know, man. I just, it just seems like a lot of these plays that we see, we just always end up seeing the check down almost. And honestly, like this is, this is probably the worst rep by Josh Azudu, yes. who gets beat inside. He just doesn't ever get a hold of number 96. Aline McNeil kind of runs through Glowinski's outside shoulder. What else is new? And luckily, Jones just gets rid of the football. I'm not going to knock him for not taking that shot with the pressure that was kind of in his face. At least pick up six yards. Yep. And it's fair. And look, it picks up six yards. So ultimately, this is part of what the offense has been. Take what the defense gives you, and that's fine. It sets up a third and four here. Uh, one of my favorite plays from the offense in this game, Darius Slayton's whip route, just 
absolute filth, the separation he creates on this route. Don't look on the other side of the screen, the top of the screen, because Kenny Galladay running the whip route is as ugly as it gets. But Darius Slayton here, man, look at that whip route. That's a lot of separation. Everybody wants to talk about. They're so convinced. I don't know why, but they're so convinced. 31 other teams have like two wide receivers better than anyone on the Giants. Two, two, like two is a lot. Like, But there may be a handful or a few teams that have that. But Darius Slayton to me is playing like at worst a wide receiver two right now. And that's like at worst, to be completely honest. And these are examples of why I feel that way. When he creates separation like this on a route, I mean, that's just, that's, beautiful looking it's a nice route by Darius Slayton yeah I mean he's he's getting in and out of his break quickly you got to put a lot of bend there a lot of stress on that yep. on that pivot leg and he does so pretty well and I think Kenny Galladay I mean it, it's it's not pretty because these aren't routes that Kenny Galladay should run you don't want Kenny Galladay running these routes I think Wondell Robinson is by far the best pivot Oh, player sure. on this team like he gets so low obviously because he's, he's short and he explodes out of that break but Darius Slayton really does a really good job to to create that separation and also the deception of fooling number 23 to think that he's actually running a drag route if you look at it slowly right. he's not tipping his hand at all he's exploding and it's right there is where you know okay I'm actually going to pivot back outside and look at 23 he's playing that inside drag route and he has to account for the speed whereas 25 doesn't really have to account for much speed from Kenny Galladay and I think that's exactly why you sold it. I mean, you, you broke that down really well. It's the way he sells that route that stands out to me. So anyway, both the Giants out of a third and fourth situation gives him 24 yards, gets this bad boy rolling. The drive is rolling here. We are back again in a position where the for the last two times we were here, we punted and we punted. We got zero points. Let's see if we can get points on this one. We're hoping at this point it's 24 to six. Um, but you have this first play of the drive here where – I thought Jones did a good job of the drive, but of the, of the sorry, not of the drive. Yeah. It's the next play yeah. of the series. I thought Jones did a good job here of using his eyes and coming back to the right decision here. And maybe it was tipped. I was kind of trying to figure out if it was tipped or not. It was hard to tell, but the throw is uh, off ball. Like the placement is off on this one. It's one he, he's been really good with ball placement all year, but this ball placement was not, this was not an example of that. It's off play action. Giants sell it really well. Single back pull Josh Azudu to pick up the end man on the line of scrimmage. Jones hits his back foot. You can see him looking at the safety, scanning the middle of the field. We'll see it from the sideline angle in a little bit. It does look like it's tipped or almost tipped. I don't believe it is. This is still a very catchable ball. Like it's in Darius Slayton's hands. Darius Slayton has to come down with that, but it's not the best ball placement. Yeah, it's a little high and a little wide. Um, so to me, that was on the placement, but it's close. And then they set up with this little zone read. Oh, here's, the sideline. here's the sideline angle first. So sure. I want to see exactly what Daniel Jones is reading. I think he's reading that middle of the field safety. He sees him just creeping. That's going to more than likely just take Cager away, especially with Alex Anzalone sinking underneath Cager, who's just running kind of a deep route streaking over the middle of the field. Also confirms the one-on-one -on -one matchup with Slayton, who's just going to attack the leverage, the off leverage, and run a quick curl. Just need a little bit better ball placement there from Daniel Jones. Sets up the second and 10. Second and long situation. Again, we've, we've seen the Giants as an offense that runs a good amount on second and long situations. This was another example of that. They tried to get the run going with a little zone read here, um, but obviously it's very well played and it's only a four-yard gain. It is very well played. They played the Giants zone read game effectively the entire All matchup. game, yeah. <laughs> the entire matchup. It's not like the Giants run blocking was really all that great anyways. And it's... Number 97 again, Hutch. He ends up crashing down and making the play on Saquon Barkley. Sets up a third and six here. Um, this is the one I think for the most part 
uh, people were just at that point saying, you know what, I'm not happy with Mike Kafka here. It's a third and five or six. I think they called it a third and six where they decided to run the ball with another zone read call um, through to, and again, through tempo. I feel like this is a light box. Um, what is your take on this decision? Are you as angry about it? I, I almost just feel like the lions played this really well. The lions did play it really well, but they've been playing it really well the entire game. Yeah. <laughs> they just you take 30 out of 30 slanting in. I believe that's 30. That might be another number that might no, be 90, 90, 90, slants. 90 slanting in hard. But if you take him out of the play, it's probably going to work. Like if you get, if the, if the block is made on 90 and they push him back out, there's a massive hole and it's like an auto first. Possibly, but 90 is the primary defender that you have to beat and Glowinski right. kind of loses and 49 is right there to kind of replace him. And then you have Hutchinson who is clamping down on Daniel Jones and also keeping that rushing lane tight for Saquon Barkley with no cutback lane. Sure. There's just really nowhere to go. I, I didn't love this call. Yeah, that's either. fair. Yeah, I didn't love this call either. It's not like the zone read game has worked for you. It's not like running the football has worked for you. And this is a very high leverage situation where you're down and you try to just run the ball. I get it. You have two downs. So that's that's the one way where you can look at it and be like, look, you have two downs. Let's see what we can get. You didn't have much luck the entire game with it. So here we are on a fourth and five, and this is the interception play. Yes, yeah, is a fourth and five situation here. Obviously, you'll see the breakdown. It's against, looks like, what, a cover three? Or no, this is the run. It's match. Um, so, at, so let's take a look at Jones's eyes here and the safety, Kirby Joseph, in the middle of the field. This is probably an example of when we're seeing uh, Jones not moving the safety with his eyes here. Um, and that's partially why Kirby Joseph is in position to make the interception, I think. Yeah, he doesn't move the safety, but the safety's not really threatened by much. Yeah, he's not really threatened regardless, you're right. Yeah, Jones just, I think this is a YOLO ball at this point. Yeah. I mean, you're on a fourth and five. You have Cager streaking over the middle of the field with, with the defender who has outside leverage. Look, Cager is the number two receiving threat to that boundary side and the defender who ends up kind of handling him is that outside cornerback who was aligned at the bottom of the numbers. He has a lot of space. So Jones sees that right at this moment and we will see it better on the end zone angle. So he just throws his football. It's just, I don't think Jones really knows what that safety is doing and he got a little desperate and he just put the ball in harm's way and it ends up being an interception a yeah, little bit better from the end zone angle. I think right here, he, he look, he's looking at Cager. He sees the leverage, sees what he likes. And he flashes his eyes towards Kirby Joseph. He sees the B gap open up. He steps to the B gap and then 96 kind of matches him. So then he just throws the football, but he throws it right to Kirby Joseph and Kirby Joseph. It wasn't like he came off his route or anything like he, he was kind of there the entire time. So I guess he just thought he could put a ball up for Cager and Cager might be able to jump and, and box Kirby Joseph out because he's a little bit closer to him. Maybe that's the case, but either way, it just ends up going for an interception and it wasn't the best look for Daniel. And it might have worked. He might have been able to box him out if the ball placement was good. But this is an example of bad ball placement. This ball's way too high over an outstretch uh, cager and then right into the hands of Kirby Joseph. So this is one he definitely wants to have it back from just a pure ball placement standpoint. Good play by Kirby Joseph, too. Yeah, Even though man, he doesn't have really good play by him. Have to do much. But you can see Kirby Joseph. He's paying attention to Richie James on this one. He's no watching they got Kirby Joseph, right, by the way? No, why? They got him with the compensatory draft pick they were awarded for losing Kenny Galladay in free agency. Mm, Isn't that geez. a little annoying? Because okay. he looked pretty good. I like what I see from Kirby Joseph. You so. talked about Kirby Joseph during the... Yes, he was one of my yeah. sleepers. Loved he him was. in Illinois. Yeah, Big 10 guy. I just love those single high type guys like that. I just don't, I'm just i always going to be drawn to those types of safeties. 
And that was just a rough one. It was at that point, once that interception happened, I was like, it okay. Felt yeah. like it was over, right. Yeah, I was like clocking in, boys. But we're going to see some, like, we're, we can't just breeze through the garbage time because we see some really yeah. impressive stuff here. Some of the best throws came yeah. in the garbage time. Some of the best offensive plays came in the garbage time. So we'll go over those. This is going to be a nine-play, 44-yard drive. So a lot of plays and just 44 yards totaled on them. Um, so that kind of gives you an idea of what you're about to see. Obviously, Giants using tempo here. It ends in a punt. Starts with a zone read where you just have another, you know, MVP of the game, Ali McNeil splitting a double team and making a play for a loss of one. Yeah, Ali McNeil just had a fantastic game. He splits Glowinski and Matt Parrott. That's just a fantastic use of his hands to shed. Again, it doesn't really seem like the offensive line is on the same page, but I think one reason why we, we're saying that is also because of what Detroit did. So a lot of a lot of the Giants' lack of success is because Detroit, from a scheme standpoint, they were really, really good at stopping this run. Like, what does Alex Anzalone do? To run, he's going to penetrate the A-gap, which is going to force that double team to come off McNeil, which allows McNeil to shed off Matt Parrott because Matt Parrott is never in position to fully assume and take over the block on Aline McNeil. And this has happened all game. We've went over it this entire time, right? right? Alex Anzalone penetrating is going to force one-on-ones, and it's going to create disadvantageous kind of angles for the New York Giants when they are in those double-team situations. And this second and 11, albeit although it's in garbage time, it deserves to be highlighted for multiple reasons. First of all, you have the best route of the game. I'm tipping it off. I'm giving it away. I'm spoiling it by Darius Slayton. This is, might be my favorite route by any receiver of the season. But in addition to that, you have a long developing route. This is a long developing route by Darius Slayton. Why is it made possible? The pocket is so perfectly set up for Daniel Jones here. This is a blitz. They send an extra rusher. It's five on five. We don't have an extra guy to block the chip. It is a true five on five pass protection set and a long developing route by Darius Slayton. And yet it, the Giants offensive line affords Jones enough time despite that. And so we'll see from the other angle um, to get to hook up for a big 18 yard conversion here on the dig to, to Slayton. This was a great route by Darius Slayton, who wins inside, then stacks on top of his cornerback, fakes like he's going to pivot on a seven route, and then comes right back over the middle of the field to create separation. And if you saw on the sideline angle, you see Wondell Robinson's wide open. This is man coverage from Detroit. Like you said, they bring pressure, and everything is blocked up very well. John Feliciano picks up Derek Barnes. Josh Azudu's handling 96. Andrew Thomas just washes Aiden Hutchinson out of the back of the end zone, essentially, because Daniel Jones is throwing from his end zone. And this ends up going for an 18-yard gain. Look at Wando Robinson, too, on the sideline angle. He ends up coming open. You can also see what I'm talking about. When I say stack, this is what I mean by stack for those who are watching on YouTube. At this moment right here, he's stacking on top of that cornerback. So he's angled inside. He releases inside, gets hip to hip, and then he just goes on top of that cornerback. So now, essentially, if Daniel Jones, if this was on the sideline, if it was outside the numbers, if he wanted to put the ball with some touch over the top of his shoulder, he could catch that football and just keep running in stride. Right. So let me get back to that play since it just uh, exited out here on YouTube. But what I mean by stack, that's what I mean by stack. Did, did that come through well, Dan? I know yeah, of course. The, and I think video ended up getting screwed up for the YouTube. No, it audience. came through very well. You can see what, what that allows when the receiver stacks like that over the top of that defender. It makes it really difficult for that defender. It almost gives him like an extra two way route almost in, in some ways. And you see, you hear a lot about the receiver stacking on vertical routes. Uh, but this is an example. This isn't essentially a vertical route because he breaks the inside on the dig. Um, but that stack allows him to create that separation.
And also let that route right there by Wondell Robinson curl to the outside, flow back to the inside. You have two yeah, guys wide route. open in the middle of the field. Very good route by Wondell. Two guys wide game. open in the middle of the field and all the time in the world to get the ball to them. That's always a good a sign of good offense. And the Giants are just using tempo, tempo at this point. Yeah, and this is another really great play by Daniel Jones. This is one of the most advanced quarterback plays I think he's had this season just because I've and you'll see it from the other angle a little bit better. I think this is a full field progression. This is a full field read. He works from one to two to three, and look at how quick he comes off of one and two. That's what I mean by advanced level play. One, two, back to three. And that's like to come off, to, to move through those progressions that fast on a full field read, that's like what the best of them do. That's why like Breeze was amazing. That's why like Payton was amazing. And if you can, you know, see more reps of this down the stretch where he's doing things like that, where he's moving so quickly, one, two, right to three. That's a great sign. It is a great sign. He recognized the coverage. He knew that Wando Robinson was going to be open in the flat with the off coverage, and he delivered a strike to Wando Robinson for a nice gain to set up a second and one with the Giants running RPO. Yeah, they run RPO on second and one, get the ball out on the quick bubble to Robinson. Uh, Wando does a good job, I think, here of uh, not trying to like hero ball this to the outside and just like getting vertical to pick up the first. You could see how the before the snap, I think the Giants knew they were going to throw the bubble because if you're looking on YouTube, you have a three-by-one set with the nub. Who was the third defender? He's about, what, 10 yards off of Wandale Robinson? Right. Wandale Robinson just runs right behind his blockers, catches the football, gets the first down. And that'll set up for the Giants after that first down. They're going to try a little jet sweep action to Brita again. Um, they get the five-yard gain on this. Anytime Brita comes in motion behind Daniel Jones, it's more than likely going to yeah. be some sort of Not really, though, because they, they use it as eye candy as well, and they set up the defense using it. But this is the second time, and that's a great run right there by Matt Brita because Matt Brita goes into the hole, and then he bounces around. He basically baits that defender, presses the line of scrimmage, gets the defender into the hole, and then just bounces it right back outside for an extra three or four yards. I felt like Matt Brita, man, just uh, definitely probably going to be the uns one of the unsung guys, you know, not to spoil much here. For sure. Watch how he um, presses into that line of scrimmage, gets 55 to square up and go right in, and then he just bounces around that outside block, runs through contact. Very physical, nice play, smart play from Brita. Yep. Missed face At, mask, by the way, on that play, too. Yeah, yeah. Sets up a second and five here where there's just a you know old-school NFL simple offense here, slant flat. This, the, the flat by the running back takes the middle linebacker out, opens up the slant lane, and Jones does a nice job driving the football here to Hodgins. Pick up nice gain on the second and five. Here we're going to get a first and 10 where I kind of wish Daniel Jones kept his eyes downfield. Yes, yes. This is one where you would put in the, probably in the negative department with Jones here. So you'll see it from the other angle here, but uh, Jones obviously scrambles to his right, ultimately throws it out of bounds. But if he keeps his eyes downfield, there is an opportunity for him to make a big play. You'll see it in one second. This is boom uh, right there. Saquon Barkley just, you have to have anticipation to make this throw in my opinion. And he has it at times. It's not like he doesn't, it's just a consistency level, but you can't miss opportunities like this in a game like this because like Nick said earlier when he broke this down, if he rips this ball out early, if like if he just hits his back foot, he understands the coverage and he understands where Barkley's going to be wide open. He throws it to that spot. All Barkley has to do is beat one dude, beat a safety. And look at the space, man. Barkley's beating that safety. Yeah, this is he's that type nice athlete. Three by one set. You have Saquon Barkley on the line of scrimmage running that deep over. And there is just absolutely no one dropping to depth to Saquon Barkley. It's him against the safety and the safety's in a terrible position to, to stop what would have been like a 30 yard gain at the least. 
at the very least. Um, and so that's just a that's one of the ones, you know, we talked about earlier. It's not the throws Daniel Jones is making that bother us at any point because he really, besides that interception, the second one, the ball placement's been pretty good. I mean, you could talk about the slate and throw we referenced earlier that was a little bit wide, whatever, but like it's the throws he doesn't make. That's an example of the throw he doesn't make. Um, and they need him to make that throw because obviously this is a drive that ends in a punt just two plays after that play. At worst, after that catch, it's a field goal. At best, Barkley beats the safety. It's an immediate touchdown, and then they're back in this game. Instead, they have the second and 10 here. Um, I think you're at right now, which is just immediate pressure up the A-gap, a little A-gap blitz. Jones is forced to throw it wide quick, so it sets up a third and 10 where the Giants are actually going to run a seven-man protection here because they sense the blitz is coming. It's Aaron Glenn. He's going to run a lot of blitzes. Um, and here you have a single high coverage here. You have something potentially open there with Wandell on the crosshair. It's not, look, it's open if you agree with Glover Quinn, who was on our Texans preview podcast last week. I'm um, sorry, our Lions preview podcast, and did correctly predict the Lions would win this game in one of the upset of the week. So good call by him. But he says one yard of separation is, is considered open in the NFL. Wandell has one yard of separation, but unfortunately, the pressure forces Jones to escape the pocket here. And since he has to escape the pocket, he can't really locate uh, Wandell from a ball placement standpoint. Nah, he just overthrows Wandell Robinson on the play. And unfortunate because Wandell did have that step. You also had Lawrence Cager coming open out of protection. But some of these times, man, when, when the Lions ended up blitzing, it just looked like a bunch of white jerseys running in a bunch of different directions and a bunch of New York Giants just kind of scrambling to block them. And Daniel Jones rolls right, takes a shot, and the ball's about three yards overthrown yep forces a punt for the giants and that was pretty much it at that point look they missed the throw earlier to barkley at first and 10 two plays later they're punting to that point you know we're in pure garbage time mode and so we get to the ninth drive here a garbage time touchdown drive they all count sort of they all count in the stats at least the end of the year when we look at the stats and we say this guy did this this guy did that it's a nine play 67 yard drive for a touchdown pure garbage time the Lions at this point have the game in the bag. The Giants need a miracle, even if they do get a touchdown here, which they do. Um, starts out here with a drop, uh, a throw out to one. So this actually, I think you, do you consider this a drop, Nick? I consider this bad ball placement. I mean, it's definitely a drop, but it's not the best ball placement either. I just don't, for drops for me, like when you're for, when you're asking the receiver to totally flip his hips back really quickly with a receipt, with a, like a defender coming down on him and then catch a low ball like that. I, I guess it's a drop because it's his hands, but this ball needs to be thrown on his outside shoulder. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's not like there's not a fault from Daniel Jones, but it's still a drop. It hits you right in the hands. Wanda Robinson's going to, I mean, he's hurt now, but he's going to struggle throughout his career with catches like this that are a little bit away off target frame. away from the frame. We yeah. said that when he was drafted and we were like, right. Dude, this, this kid can't catch really away from his frame. He's much more of a body catcher. Sure. And he just drops this three by one little quick stick route. Definitely needs that better ball placement. And again, Detroit ends up twisting up front and just kind of taking advantage of the New York Giants, although the protection wasn't terrible there. Second and 10, three by one space between the number three defender and Wandale Robinson. You just attack space, similar to what we saw before on the bubble. Only this one's a quick little stick route to Wandale Robinson that goes for nine yards to set up a third and one an option play, Dan. What is this? Yeah. College football? <laughs> see a boundary option. Run I was surprised Jones. to see the Giants run option here, to be honest with you. And it was an absolute failure of a play. It was an absolute failure of a play. Didn't get absolutely anything to go to a fourth and one. You know what? You, you see option, you get excited, right? Like, I know. Oh, an option play. 
Daniel Jones pitches this like right away as he should have, because there was penetration coming from Glowinski or Nick Gates, side, I believe, even though Daniel Jones would have been able to outrun that, but that, that linebacker, whoever that is, number five was, was right on beat there. So get the ball to Saquon Barkley in space, but five plays it just really, really well. Fourth and one where the giants go for his own read and DJ keeps it. Carl Banks. Look at that. DJ keeps it for 15 yards. Yeah. I think this was a good example of Daniel Jones you know, trusting his ability to win on this zone read. It's not like it was a glaring situation where he should have kept the ball, but he decided I can beat that guy. As you can see, 70 is at 78 or 79. He plays that pretty disciplined. But as you can see, as he tries to come, look at, look at how he, the defender tries to get lateral here. Look how slow and not athletic, not explosive it is for him to try to flip his hips there and get lateral. Not every lineman at that size, and he's even smaller, but not every lineman is a Dexter Lawrence. <laughs> the ability to like flip their hips and get horizontal and lateral like that. And so Jones trusted it. And I and and that might be what like Banks was referring to earlier this week. Like just trust yourself to beat those types of guys on that. Cause he does, and he picks up 15. And here's a depressing play. Wando Robinson makes a very oh, impressive God. one-handed catch, breaks a tackle, and then that's it's where all he that. It's all that at the end, dude. It's just the way that he. It's like the four yards out of bounds. It's the way that he, he lands there, right there. Yep. It's just crazy how sports are, man. It's just simply like the landing there. It's so random. This could happen to anyone at any time, and that like there's nothing he did wrong to leave. There's just so that. much force put on on his leg there when he steps yep. down that's Ugh. what it is it's the force of the landing on the leg but, but it's just we're not crazy to break down ACL. so many things could have like happened differently you always think about that right like Daniel, like, this ball could have been knocked down by 25 wando robinson could have dropped it could have dropped it you know he might not have broken the tackle from alex anzalone here he yeah. got tackled by the like there's just so many things that led to this injury and it's just like damn it dude it's just so unfortunate it really is because he especially because this is a true breakout game truly coming on and that's it for Wandell Robinson for the season, unfortunately. Um, super disappointing here. Here you have this nice little connection to Richie James against this type of coverage. Yeah, Richie James, this is a similar play that the Giants scored the touchdown on. It might be the same exact play that the Giants scored the touchdown on. Run Cager at the uh, at the linebacker pick him and then just have Richie James run right underneath it. Nice long gain for... Richie James to set up another zone read that Daniel Jones ends up keeping at this point of the game. I think the giants are done with Saquon Barkley and it's just Matt Breida and yes. Gary Brightwell from here on out. Again, I, I applaud that move. Me too. Don't need to. He's already been ground enough into the, into the, you know, he's been huge workload already. Uh, another example, pretty disciplined by the head end man here. Uh, but Jones trusts himself to keep this and he does a good job of getting around that end man and, getting nine yards so look at the that, force from the giants offensive line here though like with andrew thomas and yeah Josh, yeah like if they did hand the football off i feel like it's would have been probably their best gain of the day on the ground other than some of these daniel jones on own reads yeah and he actually made the right decision because austin bryant just pinches down a little bit too far but he is disciplined it's not like what we saw against chicago or or some of the other games earlier this season daniel jones just outruns austin bryant because again austin bryant's like almost 300 pounds he's like 290, right. 290 pounds Yep, exactly. So it sets up a second and one, just a little mesh concept here. The Giants run. Jones sees the middle of the field open and decides to take it uh, and run with it. Picks up six yards to set up the Matt Breida touchdown, which we'll see here. I actually really thought this was a great cut by Matt Breida. Yeah, you're not wrong. It was a nice cut. It was a good vision cut by him. Processes right off, it. Yep. Right off the ass of 
Andrew Thomas, and look what it does. There's a reason the cutback lane is there is because Austin Bryant, who just got burnt by Daniel Jones, has to stay yeah. has to has to stay with Daniel Jones on the zone read right into the mesh point. Touchdown, New York. Yep, touchdown there leads to a tenth drive, which is a four play, thirteen yard drive with a fumble. Giants coming out and empty to start this four play, thirteen yard drive, whereas a fumble and Derek Barnes just twists right around. Mark Lewinsky and a slanting defensive lineman right into the face of Daniel Jones. Darius Slayton just kind of drops a quick little easy stick route. Yeah, not the best play for Slayton here. Probably his worst play of the game. Just just a pure drop on the stick route. But it does set up the second and two, uh, second and ten situation against a cover two. So this is the one I wanted to highlight here from Daniel Jones. You can't really see it from this angle because it's the end zone angle. Um, but if you, you could see at least the pocket there was great. He had all day in it. But from the sideline angle, man, these are the, the types of shots that I want to see. I want to see the whole shot to Richie James here. So I just look, man, you need to take shot like you're down in this game. It's garbage time anyway, but you are on the field. So you're trying to move the football like just rip that ball, dude, like right there. Just rip that football to that, like flip your hit, like make that your read and throw that whole shot there because you have the vertical route right from the outside boundary receiver. That's going to create that hole there. You got just take whole shots like these towards the sideline there. It's not an easy window. I get it. It's a tight window. There's nothing there, but it's a throw that NFL quarterbacks make the best quarterbacks make the ones you want on your team, make these throws more often than, than Jones makes them to be quite frank. And to me, this is just like, I, instead of opting for what he does, which is just kind of like hang in the pocket and then roll to his right and throw it out of bounds. Just take a chance here. You have the vertical route carrying that corner out of the zone. Yeah, it would have to be thrown like right at the break point, right? Right and at the break point. Yeah. Rich exactly. James, right? If this ball is thrown like right here, when James at the top yeah. of the number, it's going to be open. Like 25 is paying attention to Saquon Barkley. You have two eyes, two sets of eyes on Saquon Barkley, who is just leaking out into the flat, and you have the deep defender being cleared out. So three-level read. Jones comes off it and, and goes to the the other side where there's two routes and then he just ends up kind of trying to make a play or have Darius Slayton extend a play but there was just nothing there Jones ends up throwing the football away but that's it right there you you nailed it there isn't any room for margin right like it has to be thrown at that point you said with anticipation but those like from I've watched a, lo a lot of Tua for some reason this year Nick because I just kind of wanted to get to the bottom for for the CBS podcast for fantasy at like what why are they so effective and why has Tua been so good and the main reason Tua has been good dude is because he's throwing those whole shots with incredible amounts of anticipation like the ball placement on those has been pretty good too the Vossi has been whatever but it's just the anticipation dude and maybe it's a confidence thing on on because look whole shots are hard to throw it might be a confidence thing, but if you want the one reason why he's been so good to it, it's that it's that he's throwing that when the receiver gets out of the break, he's not waiting for anything and he's not, you know, deciding to not throw it and then scramble outside. So it is what it is. I just wish he had taken that. It's funny because he follows it up right here with his best, with his best play of the game. Yeah, this is an amazing play where the Lions have seven guys on the line of scrimmage, three by one set for the Giants. Giants keep guys in protection. Doesn't matter. The pocket gets very muddy. Jones scrambles to his right, resets his feet, and hits the dagger concept where you have the number one receiver running the deep dig and then the number two clearing out. And it works to perfection for, I believe, an 18 or 20-yard gain on a third and 15 play. Well, watch from the end zone angle. It's very impressive to see the velocity on this freaking football. Yeah, the drive on this throw is amazing. For me, what I really love about this play, and you can see from the end zone angle as well, is, you know, past Jones right here, the pocket collapses immediately, and he's forced to roll to his right. You might see him, even in this game, roll all the way to the right, outside of the tackle box, then 
cut off half the field, this route that he ultimately ends up throwing on this play, Nick, would have been out of the picture because once he rolls fully to the right out of the tackle box, this is now not a route you can even throw. You cut off half the field. Instead, he resets, finds a passing lane within the tackle box, and then drives that football. That's what I love to see. Reset, find a new passing lane, drive the ball. And unfortunately, the very next play, Isaiah Hodgins ends up fumbling this football. Clean pocket for Daniel Jones, and he kind of throws Hodgins a ball where Hodgins has to take this big hit from another defender. Throws it right into the defender. Yeah, I'm not going to smash Jones. I want to see what the route, because I know you mentioned the route. I want to take the shot it. to the sideline here. Yeah, let, let me see exactly what the defenders are doing it's on that late in the game. You need yards and points quick. I don't understand the idea to throw this into a defender. Look at where that defender's sitting here. Like, look at, he's right around the 42-yard line here, and you're trying to throw an underneath drag at the 38. I don't know if Jones is aware that. Look that, at the hand up player. on the wheel. Yeah, I don't oh, think no. Jones is aware that that player sat. If if he was aware, then you have to take the shot to Richie James, like right, right? Because Richie James just wheels. This is the second time we have these type of switch releases where the number two wide receiver basically, oh, yeah, just releases right after. Doesn't even really look like they're even a post, post, like a vertical, post, yeah, yeah vertical like a, wheel, vertical wheel. But like but that either, the corner out of the play. That's why the wheel is open. Yeah, throw the wheel. Never see, we never throw see the wheel. Throw that ball, right? Like we never have seen. You never see him throw the wheel. He never takes those sideline hole shots, dude. And that's the problem. Like, I'm wondering so if he's told to take the drag because maybe. we've seen it so consistently, and the drag is always open because of the clear out element of the play. Yeah, you can see. That's a good point you made earlier, though. You can see from this angle, he doesn't even look to the right to even like acknowledge that defender sitting. You can see his eyes. His eyes never even go anywhere near. Like he has no. That defender could be. Even a the defender was like three or four yards off of Hodgins. That defender could have been like one yard off of Hodgins, and he still would have thrown that ball. Yeah, he he had no idea. And that's twenty five. That's a deep. That's just a really good play by twenty five to sit in place. I mean, that could have came from, through film study. I mean, how many times have we broken down this same exact play concept? This that never goes to the wheel, and it never goes to the wheel. He probably knew there was a backside drag route coming, and he just allowed the the number. The, the cornerback, the deep cornerback to midpoint, the number one and the number two, played them both and said, I'm going to take the shallow drag. And it worked delightfully for him. That's probably exactly what happened there. Yep. Leads to the fumble. Um, and then, you know, now the game is in true garbage time. We'll go over this last drive here. It's the six play 75 yard pure garbage time drive. The Giants do ultimately get a touchdown on this drive, obviously. But I mean, the game's over at that point. It's the definition of garbage time at that point. So, We'll we'll start here with a mesh concept that um, Detroit covers well, just a three yard gain. Yeah, I mean you have a lot of traffic over the middle of the field. It's probably the sloppiest mesh concept that we've seen this season. You have a bunch of different guys running it. It doesn't look like Richie James gets any depth in his OTB route. He's fighting through contact too, and there's just a lot of guys in the middle of the field. Jones completes this ball to Slayton, but Slayton's tackled right away, so it sets up a second and seven. And we'll run this final six-play, 75-yard touchdown drive through. There's a great back shoulder ball for 24 yards to Slayton that you will see. Um, good adjustment, good throw all around, so nothing too crazy there. But again, the Lions are at this point playing just two. Like, if you're played Madden, just two men under when you're up by that much. And so there's just two deep high safeties, man coverage underneath. It's not anything crazy. Um, but you can see the plays. You can see the back shoulder ball later in this drive to Slayton. You can see a good drive throw here to Richie James against man coverage. Jones thrives against man. So we'll get into the superlatives, though. I know you guys have been waiting for it. But before we do that, this week's superlative segment is sponsored by WinBet. Sign up today, and you will receive a special sports offer. All you got to do is bet $100. And if you do bet $100, 
you're going to get $100 if you win. Otherwise, you're going to get that money back. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com. That's wynn2nsbet.com. You could start winning too. I, this week, Nick, placed a beautiful bet. The only silver lining on this game, Nick, was that I had a great feeling Daniel Jones was going to crush his over rushing yards. It was 36 and a half. Laid a nice little chunk down on that. My oh, first yeah? bet of the year on the Giants. I was insanely confident. And he had 50 yards rushing. So, and that was, I think, in the third quarter, I won that bet. So that was a nice one. But let's get to our superlatives today, Nick. Give me your unheralded player on film. Unheralded player on film for one Nick Filato is going to be Matt Breida. I hinted towards it before. I just feel like it's been a trend. Every time Matt Breida comes on the football field and they trust him with some sort of opportunity, he usually comes through. And he did twice, maybe three times in this game. And he did it in a fourth down situation when the game was still within reach. So I'm going to go with Matt Breida. I feel like he is a good number two running back to have. By the way, if you're watching on YouTube, that is a strike. To Kenny Galladay right there. This is the throw we were talking about for, before. Look at the drive on this ball. That ball gets there fast to Galladay. That's a drive throw, and that's that's the type of stuff you love to see from Daniel Jones, the ball placement and the velocity. That's improved for sure in this year four. My unheralded player was between two players, Nick, both on the offensive line. It was between Josh Azudu and John Feliciano for me for totally different lesions. For Feliciano, it's him playing through injury for as long as he could and holding up as long as he possibly could. That, to me, is grit. That's unheralded. But it, the winner for me is Azudu because Azudu, you know, had the injury to start the week, got in limited practices. They gave Lemieux the chance, and then Lemieux was awful in the first half. Azudu comes in, and there's a marketable difference, a marketable, like a noticeable difference between Azudu and Lemieux, a massive jump in play with Azudu. So he deserves it for me. Love it. Okay. Let's go with, we'll save best player for the end. Let's go with your favorite play call from Mike Kafka in this game. My favorite play call from Mike Kafka. I wish the option play worked because it was, uh, <laughs> it was creative, but it didn't, it would be the quarterback power. I also just love the execution. Yeah. The offense didn't necessarily have the best execution in this game from a blocking standpoint, but the little guys, the wide receivers blocked really well. Chris Myrick blocked really well on that play. And you had two lead blockers. You didn't necessarily have to do much on a quarterback power touchdown for say, or for Daniel Jones. So I'm going to go there. Wish I could go somewhere else, but that was my favorite call. I want the giants to continue using that. They used it really well in Buffalo. I hope that's something we'll see again in the red zone, especially now with our limited options without Wandell Robinson. So I'll go with that. Give me your best throw from Daniel Jones on film. Your favorite throw. That 20 yarder to Hodgins where he reset his feet after thinking about bailing, but there were several. I mean, the back shoulder to Darius Slayton was really good. I thought that strike to Kenny Galladay that we just saw on the screen was a really nice throw, a strong throw. I felt like Jones had several great throws. He just had a couple backbreaking mistakes that ultimately helped the New York Giants have a less opportunity to win the football game, I guess is a, is a way to put it. But Daniel Jones was not the biggest problem with this team by no. any stretch of the imagination. No, he was not. He had some great throws. He had the backbreaking mistakes. We also did have, you know, throws he left on the field. We went over in the Barkley one and a few others, yeah. but my best throw, my favorite throw was from earlier in the game was when he escaped the pocket fully to his right. And you said it best, man, he had no platform and you should have, and the, 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 build, the ability to put that ball to Wandell Robinson on that sideline, it hits him right in the bread basket. There's any, it's kind of reminds me, it's not the same throw by any means. This throw is 45 yards on the field, but just, it reminds me of the Eli Super Bowl Manningham throw just in the sense that if it, that ball placement is any more to the left 
of the receiver or to the right of the receiver to our left, it's going to be broken up by the defensive back. If the trajectory is a little bit different, it's going to be batted down or picked by that second level defender. And if it's a little bit to the left or to the right, I guess, to our right, it's going to be out of bounds in the sideline. So it's just really good ball placement, really good ball trajectory, really good arm talent and the ability to do that all off platform rolling to his right, which is something he struggled with at times earlier in his career. I'm not exactly sure how I never have talked about this before on the podcast this year, Nick, I didn't think you could improve arm talent. I really didn't believe that was a thing in the NFL, but I feel like Daniel Jones has somehow improved his arm talent. I feel like this is the best he's ever thrown the football, naturally speaking, like on a consistent <laughs> basis that I've seen in his career. Other than his first NFL start where he yeah, was, yeah. oh my God, the ball, man. the ball, man. I mean, the throw he made to Slayton down the field. We haven't seen that again since really. Uh, that since that crazy. Man. Yeah. And that was incredible arm down, but yeah, definitely good. Oh, there. That was my favorite throw overall from him. Um, let's go with the best route run of this game. I think this one's obvious. Yeah. It's the Darius Slayton one. And honestly, on that same exact play, I think you can almost go with the Wondell Robinson play. He just didn't get the target. That was a nice route as well. <laughs> yeah, you could go with the Wondell Robinson. You could also go with the Slayton whip route. I mean, it is a whip route, but it was still, and we've seen that win often for the Giants this year, but it's still a really nice route, a really filthy route. So we can go with his adjustment on the back shoulder. There's a lot of picks uh, there for best route. How about best player off on the offense overall? I guess I'd probably go with Andrew Thomas, right? And I, I think, the, the negative plays for Andrew Thomas, it was always something that it wasn't him doing something wrong. It was like mm -hmm. somebody picked him, something that was a little bit unforeseen. He had to mask a Lemieux mistake, stuff like that. So I really am trying to come up with other players who can take that mantle away from Andrew Thomas and Saquon Barkley, but there just really isn't. So I think it has to be Andrew Thomas. Yeah, I mean, I, I would make a case that at times Darius belongs in the yeah. mix, not in this game. This game was Andrew Thomas. I mean, he has a clean sheet game again, and I know it's a, an easier matchup. There isn't like, but it's not even like Hutchinson's supposed to be this dude, right? He was this not supposed to be the first overall pick, he was the second overall pick, um, and it's not the easiest matchup overall. So it's Thomas, man. It's just so many clean sheets. I think part of why I like Thomas in this game is on those zone reads. He did a great job of those down blocks. Down blocks has always been my favorite Andrew Thomas as far as run game goes. And I just love how he moves defenders in that he regard. Dominating at Georgia doing that. Yeah, that was his, always his thing. And it carried over right away. And it's consistent on those down blocks. So it's Thomas for me. I just, it's stupid in my mind watching this film to give it to anybody else. Like he's just, to me, clearly the best player on tape. Literally is like that every game, though. I know. Like we, really we got one where it was Daniel Jones because I think Thomas. Oh, we had two Jones. We had two Jones. Two back Jones back. because yeah. Thomas might have had one bad rep where he allowed a pressure. Ooh, like Thomas yeah. is just playing at an unreal. I don't even think. I, don't think, I think those weeks when Jones won it, or even the week when Barkley run it, like a case could have been made that it still should have been Thomas. But we were just, you know, like. Jones played so well. Yeah. Give him, give him the do. Or Barkley played so well. Give him the do. Um, it's like the, it's like the LeBron James MVP thing. Yes, it, it is a lot right. like that. It is a yeah. lot like that. It really is. Okay, let's close this thing out with a pass blocking grade one through ten to start. Pass blocking one through ten to start. Jeez, man. Uh, I, think I guess we'll I'm gonna go with a, on this. Yeah, I'm gonna go with a three point six yeah, grades. Why is yours a lot better? A lot better. Yeah. Yeah, mine's going to be a 3.6 because we saw a lot of improvement, but all the improvement was in garbage time. And I think there are reasons okay. why it was more garbage time, but it wasn't even like Detroit just totally stopped sending blitzes in the second half because they didn't. They still dialed up the pressure, but the protection was just so much better with Josh Azudu rather than Shane right. Renew. So I think when it was really important in those got to have it moments, okay. I'm going to go with a 3.6 as a whole. 
Yeah, because I think you're putting more weight on the first half, which, which may be fair thing to do. I'm just going to look at it like overall, just what did I see from the pass protection? And second half, the pass protection was good. We showed the play with Slayton. That was incredible pass protection. Five on five, you have a blitz. And he still. And there were a lot of plays where there were pockets. But it wasn't like you can just throw out the first half, right? Where the pass protection was a total disaster. And overall, the interior offensive line wasn't even perfect in the second half. So I think if I really think about it, it's probably fair to drop my original thought on this uh, to like a 4.7, 4.7 for me. I think that's fair, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I can go. I, I can go lower, though. I understand why you have yours low as well. What's your uh, run blocking grade? Because that one's interesting. Yeah, the run blocking grade. Oy vey. <laughs> I mean, I think it's got to be worse. Oh, it's definitely worse. I so mean, we're, what are we looking at? Like a, like a two eight. I'll give it. I was thinking a one nine. So one nine. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if that's our lowest, but it it's really just because the Giants just they seem to not have an answer. Onto how to effectively block slants, and right. it seems like every time Detroit wanted to run them, it was countering exactly what the New York Giants wanted to do. And it's not like the Giants didn't do anything to to counter that. It's just Detroit was dialed into everything they wanted to do. It seemed like like you have to tip your cap to Dan Campbell and this coaching staff. Yeah, because they knew what the Giants. Yep, they, they really studied and prepared for this. They definitely did. And the Giants, yeah. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do on a short week with all these injuries. It's it's going to be interesting we'll to watch. Maybe we get the lucky game where it's just like, oh, surprise, the Giants win this game and they can beat somehow. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. NFL. Like the, the Cowboys lost to the Packers last week. Just listen to how weird this sounds. The Cowboys lost to the Packers. The Packers then looked like total garbage at home against the Titans. And then the Cowboys, who had just lost to a Packers team that looks like total garbage at home in a must-win game against the Titans, completely blow out the Vikings, who beat the Bills on the road in like the best game of the season. That's the NFL right there. Like the Vikings. I'll say the this. Best. I'll say this, Dan. Does the Dallas Cowboys ever beat Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, they do lose a lot to Rodgers. They lose a lot to Green Bay, right? It is weird, especially in the playoffs and some of those key games. Um, I love it. The Dez. Not even just the Dez. There was one like after that, like in the Dome, I remember in Dallas. It's just so good to see. Was that the one where uh, Jared Cook caught like a insane throw by Aaron Rodgers? (laughs) Best (laughs) throws I've ever seen, basically. You know who made a throw just like that? The rolling to your left, torque your entire body off balance and rip a ball. This past weekend, Caleb Williams. Did you see that throw I put on Twitter? Um, I haven't seen it, but I've heard okay. a lot about Caleb Williams and I'm excited to study him. You oh, know, man, I can't wait here. for you to watch it for, we'll, we'll do it in the class after, but the Caleb Williams and the Drake may tape. I can't wait for you to watch both of those quarterbacks. Those are two of my boys right now. Yeah. Watching them play is like, you just don't like, I, you know me, I love watching great quarterback play. And like in the NFL right now, there's like, just not that much of it overall. It's like, this is such a down error right now not error maybe it's just a year because like that all the injuries with the chargers receivers and and offensive line that they're not offense isn't even that amazing and you really just kind of have like mahomes Tua, and 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 now burrow too because he's doing well even without chase mahomes Tua, burrow and allen with those like just dynamic passing games dynamic quarterback play but when you look at the college level if you watch any caleb william games at usc if you watch any drake may games at unc it's just so much fun to watch so he had one of those rogers types those where he just torques his body and just drives the ball 20 yards down the field from no like no literally he's not even i I don't even know the platform i could say he's throwing that from rolling to his left of the righty but anyway this is not about caleb williams (laughs) it's a giants podcast so we'll wrap up there but for those who want to stay along and 
enjoy a little bit more podcast here. We we did an interview with the Always Cheating Podcast, a World Cup preview. I know the World Cup has started for most of you guys. You watch USA tie today, but it's obviously rolling on. We're only in the early uh, stages of the group stage. So check it out. It's a fun preview. We talked a little bit of soccer. Nick talked about uh, – and Nick feels like he learned a lot from it. I feel like I knew some of that stuff before. <laughs> but uh, no, just kidding. We both know nothing about soccer. So we Yo, learned a lot. FIFA. Yeah, all my knowledge literally directly comes from FIFA. So anyway – Thanks for tuning into that. Thanks for tuning into this. Have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon. We got the defensive pod tomorrow. That one's going to be ugly. I don't want to do that. I'm just like, oh, no, I don't want to see it. That offensive line was really nice from the from the, the Lions, and we'll see how that But even out. still, I'll say this, Dan. Dexter yeah. Lawrence, like in the run yeah. game, had dominating plays, yeah. man. Yep, and we'll get to yeah. that. We're also going to try to fit a preview in as well. It's a tight week. It's a short week with Thanksgiving coming up, but we'll see what happens there. We're going to try our best. So anyway, thanks again. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. And now we have the pleasure of welcoming in Brandon Kelly of the Always Cheating Fantasy Premier League podcast. Talk a little World Cup with us. I know some of you have, you know, been in these states that have legalized gambling. I know I'm one of them, and I want to play some bets for the World Cup. I want to play some bets on the Premier League, things of that nature. Brandon's going to help talk us through the upcoming World Cup, what we need to know about the games, and where the money should be flying in on. That's a bit of pressure, but thanks for that <laughs> intro, Dan. I, I'm with you living in the great city of New York. I've got the FanDuel app up right now and looking to get together with some friends tomorrow to, yeah, run through these World Cup groups and, yeah, splash some cash. So, Brandon, from a from personal perspective for myself, I've always been really interested in the World Cup. But in terms of the Premier League and soccer at large, I really just don't know shit. Like, I don't yeah. know really anything. I know some of the top players like Messi and Ronaldo. But can you speak? Messi's not like, even oh. in the Premier League, Nick. So you don't know shit. <laughs> well, I'm not talking about Premier League players, you jackass. I'm talking about just players in general. All right. Anyways, wh who are the favorites right now for the World like for the World Cup? Like, who? What teams are like the favorites to win this? Is yep. I know my, my Italian team. I know they suck and they're not even in it. We can get into that a little bit later. Sure. Who are the favorites right now? Yeah, right now, Brazil is by far and away the front runner. And Brazil, they haven't won the World Cup since 2002, which in a way is uh, is a long time for a country like Brazil, who has like when won many World Cups. They're uh, also uh, in competition with Argentina, a team which I think kind of aligns with the New York Giants point of view. And that's where your man Messi plays. Nick. So uh, I, I think part of it, uh, uh, World Cup being in Qatar and extremely warm weather climate are people favoring South American countries where their players, uh, you know, they were born and bred in uh, warmer climes. But then there is France, who would be the third favorite. And it is one of the hardest things to do because the World Cup happens every four years for a country to repeat. And France are the World Cup title holders right now and their their star player Pogba who runs the midfield for them is injured so France is going to have a few obstacles but they have baby baby Messi in Kylian Mbappe, Mbappe. exactly so yeah <laughs> nailed it uh so all these these three teams have the biggest stars on the planet you've got Mbappe at France you have Neymar at Brazil who plays at PSG and you have Messi uh with Argentina I think the fourth key player is Erling Holland, who does play in the Premier League. And sadly, his Norwegian team did not qualify for the World Cup. So all those stars I mentioned don't even play in the Premier League. I think 
where where the Premier League shines is they have all of the they have all the, like the gritty uh, tool men, I guess you should say. One of my favorite players is Kevin De Bruyne. He plays for Belgium. He's like the Peyton Manning of the Premier League, uh, uh, or I guess I should say the Eli Manning. Come on, I'm on a Giants podcast right here. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but he's he's my favorite player to watch. Like he's one of those guys who really he like literally quarterbacks the play. He is box to box. And so if you're looking for a team that is not really favored, but you want one fun player to watch, Kevin De Bruyne would be the guy. De Bruyne, yeah, he's a ginger, I believe. Right? He is a ginger, yeah. He's yes. he's funny to watch him play. Uh, five minutes into any match, it looks like he's already run for 90 minutes. He like immediately turns beet red, is full of sweat. <laughs> so, like, And that is something that I, from Irish descent, uh, can truly identify with. Yeah, I remember Premier League stars like Wayne Rooney. I'm guessing he's way he's probably like what, 38, 39, maybe even 40 at this point. So. Yeah, he's he's 37. He's the same oh, age okay. as Ronaldo. I don't know if you guys saw these clips circulating of Ronaldo gave this interview to Piers Morgan. Ronaldo is at war with his current club Manchester United and he throw he threw Wayne Rooney right. under the bus saying like, "Look at that guy. He's over the hill. He's not even competitive anymore." He's, Wayne's already moved on to his coaching career. So, yeah, there's a world in which Rooney was still playing for England, but uh, it's not the one we live in. Now, most of our knowledge, that's Nick and I, my knowledge for, yeah. about soccer comes from the game FIFA, yeah. a game where I have at least a 65% winning percentage over Nick. And nice. If we're being, okay. if we're being very, uh, you know. 65 is a little aggressive. I would say 60, though. I think exactly. 60. It was being nice. It's at least 70. But we're splitting we'll hairs here, Nick. Come right on. on this podcast. <laughs> it's and important we'll talk, here. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about the USA in the World Cup today. So, Brandon, uh, yeah. questions on USA. I'll start by saying this. You know, we're back in the World Cup as a country. We haven't been, we weren't there last time. We have a player who I think, and I'm not sure, I want to get your take on if he's going to play, a player who's probably the most exciting young player USA has had in a long time. Okay. And, and he plays for Chelsea, which is my brother's favorite team. And I'm sure you hate Chelsea. Do you, do you not, Brandon? Uh, yeah, they're right across Fulham Way <laughs> from Fulham. And and Chelsea are the like by far the most successful team in that part of London. So yeah. it's like it's like I'm a Michigan State grad. So when Michigan grads talk about how Ohio State is their bitter rival, I'm like, hey, what about us at Michigan State? That's what it's like to be a Fulham supporter. Yeah. Well, we share that because we both hate Michigan. I'm a Badger. So that right, that, right that on. one we share. But yeah, yeah, yeah. What should the fans' expectation be for the USA in this World Cup? And and, and I'm going to ask you one final thing after you give that breakdown of what, sure. what we can expect. I like the under two and a half goals for USA's first match. What are your thoughts on that? Mm, that's interesting because my concern about the U.S. team going into the tournament is our coach, Greg Berhalter. He has kind of staked out this. I'm going to play a progressive style of football, which means they're going to play the ball out from the back and get every all 10 outfield players involved in the play and try to progressively move the ball forward. That is something that can work in like in the Premier League or in La Liga, where you've got a club team that plays together day in, day out. The trick with international teams going into a big tournament like the World Cup is a lot of these teams, these players, they play on different in, on different continents. They're not totally familiar. What you tend to see then is really defensive styles of play. That's what England has been trying to do for the last 10 years is actually win a trophy by playing really defensively. 
So my concern about that call of under two and a half goals is I think Greg and the U.S. are going to try and play expansive. They're going to try and score goals, which will leave them open to having goals scored on them. So, I mean, that said, two and a half goals is actually pretty high for a World Cup game. So um, I think both things can be true. But uh, my prediction for the U.S. is is kind of like wait and see. I think we'll learn a lot from that Wales game. Wales is our first match. We play 2 p.m. Eastern time uh, on Monday. And Wales, you know, they have a superstar in Gareth Bale who's getting into that Wayne Rooney territory in terms of age and the phase of his career. But he still, like, probably has every intention of of shining. But beyond him, we're kind of like match player for player with Wales. Uh, so depending on how that goes, I think that will show where the U.S. is going to finish in their group. I predict that Wales and England get out of the group and mm-hmm. U.S. finishes third place. Uh, and then we're, we're, all we have left to root for is the geopolitical uh, factors when we play Iran, uh, who will <laughs> probably finish last in our group. Always Cheating Podcast sounds like a big blue banter type of podcast. You're talking X's and O's of the great game of soccer or football, as most of the world calls it. And Dan was referring to Christian Pulisic before. Where yeah. does Christian Pulisic, that's in the American, uh, what is he, a midfielder or is he an attacker or a striker? Yeah, it, it's fun. Like the game is so fluid now that like to call somebody a particular position doesn't quite work. He's an attacking midfielder. Yeah. An attacking midfielder. Where does he rank among some of the other greats around soccer? Because he's still young, right? If, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. What is he? Like 20, 20, 22, I think he is now. So he is still young. And the issue he's having at Chelsea is he can't break into the starting 11 with Chelsea right now. He is America's best, most consistent attacking player, and he plays at one of the best clubs in Europe. And he he played as a substitute for Chelsea when they won the Champions League, like the biggest trophy in Europe. Christian Pulisic put his lips on that trophy. So that is a major accomplishment. But coming out of that, he still hasn't really broken out. The player who has broken out this season is actually Brendan Aronson, who plays more of that. uh, It's sort of like how I was describing Kevin De Bruyne a moment ago, more of that central mid quarterback role. And he has exploded at Leeds in England, where he is incredibly fast. He has incredible ball retention skills. He can dribble by anybody. He can make things happen. So uh, we haven't seen Brendan Aronson and Pulisic play together a lot. So if the U.S. is going to score any goals, I think those two guys linking up is going to be key. And then there is Giovanni Reina, who is the son of Claudio Reina, who was our star going back to the 2006 World Cup. You know, you're, you're Italians, Nick. The U.S., we finished dead last in our group. We were the only team to Nick points off of Italy during their World Cup uh, winning run there, though. Um, Benazine Zidane, and he was uh, the person who headbutted an Italian back then, right? God, I really hope we get a memorable moment like that in this World <laughs> Cup. That would be absolutely, absolutely epic. Uh, so, yeah, son, son of Reina, uh, I think those three guys are going to be crucial for us. And then like as far as our striker, the guy who plays closest to the opposing goal, that's the thing that's up in the air right now. We really kind of don't know who's going to play in that in that position at the moment. And is there a goalie? Because I remember the, I think his name was Tim Howard. Was that the goalie that the... That's right. That the yeah, Tim, had? Tim Howard was like a true hero the last time we were in the World Cup, which was, uh, was that, 2014. 
He made 16 saves against Belgium in the round of 16. Ultimately, we lost. Timmy Howard is retired. You can now catch him in the, you know, the the commentary desk on NBC Sports. The drama with our goalkeepers was we had Zach Stefan, who was uh, he was the backup goalkeeper for Manchester City, which is probably like the the most exciting team in Europe right now, and he blew it. Like he had a series of opportunities to prove himself both for Manchester City and the U.S. and he stunk. So he's out, and now our starting goalkeeper is going to be Matt Turner, who's the backup at Arsenal. So where we are as Americans, this is actually kind of a unique. I am used to following the American team, and the only player we have who starts for a big club in Europe is a goalkeeper. Now our big stars are actually attacking players. So the tide may be turning. <laughs> I mean, let's hope it's turning, man. It would be fun to have soccer as such a, like a, one of the primary sports. Like if the Americans could get good yeah. during the World Cup, if they could yeah. really establish themselves, it would be a huge story and would really yeah. give attention to soccer. I mean, I tell you what, Nick, it is like, it, it is a transformative thing, the World Cup. My wife, who has like zero interest in sports, when I first met her father, he's English. I asked him if he supported an English team. He looked at me dead in the eyes and he said, I played bridge. So that was kind of like, uh, <laughs> which is a card game for those who are yeah. really up with what okay, their yeah. grand grandparents are up to. So that was what I was starting with. I took her to the bar to watch us Ghana world cup 2010. I think it was Landon Donovan scores a game-tying penalty kick. And it was one of those, it, the bar was completely ran full of fans. And when that goal went in, like people lost their minds, like the roof blew off. I turned around and my wife just had tears in her eyes, mostly because she didn't really know how to process what was going <laughs> on. But you couldn't help but through osmosis to be overwhelmed. Like in most sports that American fans are watching, like basketball, a ball goes in the hoop every 30 seconds. So what's the big deal? Like some people think that soccer is boring because it's low scoring, but that that the nature of that means that when a goal is scored, it is euphoric. It's it's orgasmic. So you kind of wait. That, that's why I would encourage anybody, particularly if they're in a metro area like New York, if you can get out to watch a game at a bar where there are fans of those nations there, do it because you will that's where you'll really get the vibes before we get out of here brandon i want to ask you one question because at the top of the show i mentioned the italian team and how they didn't qualify the, for the world cup they yeah. won the euro cup though right am i am i mistaken there you are you are not mistaken they kind of came out of nowhere as dark horses in the euro cup so that's basically the world cup but just for european teams and they had a younger team that was unproven and they just all gelled really quickly and suddenly and uh, beat England in the final and then uh, hilarious the the qualifying structure of the World Cup Italy had to go all the way to like a playoff game to get into the World Cup finals and they lost so the reigning European champions will not play in Qatar now uh, in a couple of weeks which yeah it's a bummer like you know across New York Italians are they're they're some of the best fans like, I don't know how many barber shops I've been to in Manhattan where there's a a poster of the Italian World Cup winning national team up on the wall. Respect. Respect. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and Brandon, we have time for another question. I just wanted to ask you, uh, so how is Mexico right now as a international soccer team? Because I know Americans in Mexico, they always have yeah. some sort of like rivalry in, in soccer. And also what happened with the Colombian team? Why exactly did they not qualify for the World Cup? 
What happened with Columbia? Uh, Columbia is, I think that's an easier question to answer. Like they're just in the middle of like a cycle. Like these, I don't know if they use this term in, in uh, the NFL, but when a team is kind of in between moments, you're, you're at the end of, or at the beginning of a cycle. And that's where Columbia is. They've got some exciting players, but they're just not uh, ready to perform just yet. And then Mexico, they, they just have like an incredible culture of soccer in their country and they will always be competitive. They're a great tournament team where they won't make a lot of almost like my alma mater, Michigan state, like our basketball team. We always have like kind of like a little better than okay. Regular seasons. But as soon as we get to the NCAA tournament, Mike is flips the switch and we become amazing. That's kind of like Mexico right now it's a good time to be an american fan though because we have the slight upper hand on mexico we're always neck and neck we beat them in the gold cup which is the north american euros the north american world cup so we have the slight upper hand uh they just need mexico just needs some of their star players to actually step up raul jimenez is probably their best attacking player and he's still recovering from this insane head injury that he got uh, playing for Wolves in the Premier League against Arsenal. He, he basically, his, his skull got entirely caved in. And it's a miracle that he's back playing. But after an injury like that, it's really hard to get back to your your best. So, you know, even though I'll likely be rooting against Mexico, I'd like to see Raul Jimenez, you know, at least score a goal and get a little bit of glory because it's been a long road for him. That was kind of a deadbeat downer for me to, <laughs> to end on like, well, hey, so traumatic brain injuries and all that. But um, I, I mean, I think that the overarching theme, if you'd want to talk about Mexico, the U.S. and all these teams is that there is no one team that stands out as having like the elite squad. Even if you go back to the favorites we were discussing from Brazil, Argentina, France. There are all these question marks around them. My prediction for the World Cup is there's going to be a real air of unpredictability, which Dan will make the betting market uh, kind of um, infuriating. Um, we're always just going to be watching them make watching the matches that much more exciting. I think. Brandon, any any parting words about the World Cup and your podcast that you want to tell our audience? Well, yeah, my podcast, Always Cheating, that I co-host with my buddy Josh, we talk uh, specifically about the Premier League, which I think is like the NFL, NBA of European soccer. It's, it is the gold standard of world team soccer that's not a national team. And we talk about the fantasy game. So if, you, if you're not a follower of soccer, you watch the World Cup, you think this is kind of cool. Highly encourage you to dip your toes into fantasy because fantasy is like the best way to like it's like going to a foreign language immersion school. You immediately pick up who all these random players are at random teams. You get rooting interest for teams and, and then like through fantasy and then watching the games, you can figure out, well, this is a team that that might suit me. And I do think Chelsea very much reminds me of the New York Giants in that. Chelsea's based in West London. It's kind of a posh part of town. People would view the Giants being a, a, a New York-centric team, East Coast elitist. Uh, they both wear uh, royal blue. Uh, so I, I think that's that's a match. So, yeah, if you if you like what you see watching the World Cup, come join us in the Premier League. Try some fantasy. Listen to Always Cheating. Uh, our mission is is to keep it conversational and entertaining from a fan po point of view. And that's... that's uh, 
what we intend to do for the World Cup. Josh and I are actually going to be podcasting every day during the World Cup for like 15 minutes. So it's meant to be a like with your cup of coffee, catch up what's been going on today. What can we expect from tomorrow's games? So, yeah, if you if you're just looking for like a quick hit on what to expect from the World Cup tournament, check us out. Alwayscheating.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us today, Brandon, and good luck with the rest of your podcast. And we're looking forward to the World Cup. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, guys. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.